This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast from AllComic.com, episode 129. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lam Ramayasha, and even though all the cons were cancelled, we still have a ton of news to catch up on. Once again, we're going to have a extra lengthy summer news roundup for you guys, because there were a lot of licenses announced, there was a lot of news going on, there's a lot of things happening in the industry, there's a lot to talk about. Oh yes, uh, it's our it's our summer 2020 news roundup. We have had a, a bit of a hard time trying to find a time to uh, record about news until now. But you know what? A lot of this news is some really cool news. We have – we could probably fill this episode with just licensing news on its own and just – we could make an entire episode just on that alone if we really wanted to. That's how that's how much news we have to talk about. Um, and so, yeah, I think we should just get started and uh, I think we should get started by talking about our usual list. And I think we should start with the monthly book scan list for June. And just to get it out of the way, as always, there's there's so much My Hero Academia on this list. Out of, out of the 20 comics on this list, uh, My Hero Academia Volume 24, which I believe was the newest volume to come out that month... Uh, the, the start of what I like to call the, the the My Villain Academia arc. I mean, it's right there on the cover. It is, it is. I really like that cover, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, so, Volume 24 of My Hero Academia ranked number two on this list. I'm assuming a lot of people were probably anticipating owning this arc, or they were probably, uh, probably very captivated by the cover. I mean, My Hero has been ranking high for a while now, so... I, I mean, mean that's this true. Is just continuing yeah. the sales trend. I mean, we're gonna get to it later. But My Hero Academia is one of the dominant comics on the market right now, just in general. Yeah, stay stay tuned for more on that. But uh, yeah, Volume Twenty Four ranking number two on the list, uh, with Volume One ranking at number three, Volume Two ranking at number five, uh, Volume Twenty Three ranking at number twelve, Volume Three ranking at number thirteen. With My Hero Academia Vigilantes, Volume 7 in particular, ranking at number 18, and Volume 4 of the original My Hero Academia ranking at number 20. Uh, so overall, that is about... Uh, Six volumes of MHA on the list, seven if you count Vigilantes. Yes, yes, that's right. Um, so uh, about f- almost half the list. It's 35% of the top 20. Mm. Still, that's that's still a lot of My Hero Academia on the list. Yeah, that's the third of the list. Which, you know, and nothing else to say there. My Hero Academia is just dominating everything at this point. Uh, but to move on to possibly the only Jump series to maybe have the potential to rival that, we'll see. Uh, at number six on the list, we have volume 13 of Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba, uh, along with volume two of Demon Slayer at number 17. And you missed Volume 1 at number 8. Oh, you're right. I did miss that. My apologies. So that's three volumes of Demon Slayer on the list. It may not be as much as My Hero Academia on the list, but, like, again, it's it's still a pretty good showing for, for Demon Slayer, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's still multiple volumes in the top 20 and showing that the sales base of Demon Slayer is definitely growing. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in seeing how how this will grow uh, over here in the West as we keep going, but uh, we'll get to that when we get to that. Uh, so at number seven on the list, we have volume nine 
of Dragon Ball Super. Dragon Ball Super is basically a guarantee on this list every month. Along with Junji Ito's Uzumaki at number 11. Perennial bestseller. I didn't get a chance to like to double check this, but I want to say Uzumaki has had a place on this list every month this year. I think so. And I th- and as we'll talk about later, Uzumaki is uh, one of the highest selling manga volumes on the market in general. Uh, at number 15, a pleasant surprise with Tatsuya Endo's Spy Family Volume 1. Uh, Spy Family obviously being uh, the, the little series that could, uh, that started out on uh, Shueisha's Manga Plus and was immediately picked up by Viz after becoming for a short while like the third most read thing on Manga Plus. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, I guess, immediate. It took a couple months since it was Manga Plus exclusive for a while. But yeah, I mean, Spy Family blew up immediately in terms of viewership as soon as it was posted. And I mean, we just talked about Oricon, like it ranked in the top 10, despite being a year old already without any anime, just on the strength of word of mouth and engagement alone. And we're seeing a similar trend start up for Spy Family Hin. It's like a ranking here in the top 20, like just on the strength of that word of mouth. And I think that's similar with Comey here at number 19, volume 7 of Comey. Like, these are series that don't have anime, but the online fandom of it is so strong, the word of mouth is so strong, that is driving sales. Mm-hmm. Just going back to Spy Family for a little bit, it is... It it is really cool to see this on the list. I I didn't even I didn't even think about the possibility of it landing on the book skin list, but man, like it, it it's like we said the last time we covered the Oricon top ten series list. Like I cannot even imagine how well it's going to do once this series actually gets an anime within like the next few years or so. Because I I feel like it's got to be a guarantee at some point. I'm sure there's a studio out there who's like we got to animate this right now, or at least as soon as we can. Oh yeah, I mean, I think that's a given. I'm sure we'll see it get animated sooner than later. Mm-hmm. And then you already mentioned uh, Comey Can't Communicate Volume 7 at number 19. Again, like 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 you were saying, a, a series that, because of its online fandom and the, and the support it has behind it, is doing as well as it has been. Uh, which is really nice. Again, we mentioned this point... Uh, one of the last times we t- we talked about a book scan list, you know, it's 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 nice to see that despite having fervent like scanlation group or whatnot behind it uh, before it got picked up, that it's doing as well as it is, and uh, that makes me happy. But uh, yeah, I guess uh, there's not much else I want to say about the list unless there's anything you want to say real quick. I mean, it's another Viz Media dominated list, which is no surprise. Oh, yeah. As again, as we'll get to later, and we see like the market share Viz has. And it's also pretty Shonen Jump dominant. I will say, though, of course, it is always nice to see Uzumaki continue to sell really strong. It's great to see Spy Family debut so high. And, of course, it's great to see a Shonen Sunday series like Komi also kind of break up that Shonen Jump domination as another, like, series that is a little underrated, a little niche, but still incredibly popular. Mm-hmm. I'm really interested in looking back on all these book scan lists, maybe at the end of the year, and uh, and just checking Uzumaki's like placements in particular, because Uzumaki is probably going to be one of the few titles on this list that is all, that is always going to have a place on this list for all 12 months out of the year. 
Maybe besides My Hero Academia, obviously, but still. Mm-hmm. I would definitely agree with that. Um, but speaking of My Hero Academia, really quickly, uh, we should talk about the New York Times best-selling graphic books and manga list. Um, My Hero Academia, really the only, uh, really the only manga represented on the list, uh, with volumes one at number nine and volume twenty-four at number four. Um, probably the highest My Hero Academia has ranked on this list in particular so far. I think so. And also a rare occasion where two volumes of the series are ranking on the NYT list in the same month. Mm-hmm. It it just makes me think I, I, I think that's why I was saying a little earlier that I, I, I feel like I wanna say it's because people are probably excited for this arc in particular, but that that's just my theory. I don't really have anything to back that up. Um, it, it it is nice to see My Hero Academia rank this highly on the list. Um, My Hero Academia is like as close to the top three as as it ever has been since this list's inception, and I hope maybe it could break the top three. That would be really cool, but we'll just have to see. Again, it has a lot of stiff competition. I agree, but I think that. The trend for MHA is definitely swerving upwards, so I think uh, there's definitely a good chance of it. Um, but that's it. That's about it for the list. Um, again, not much else to say there. Um, and I think we should move on to serialization news. And uh, uh, just to start off with, I'm just going to mention this kind of quickly because uh, we'll we'll be covering some of these in a future episode of the podcast, but, uh, we have a new series from Akisa Saike, who is apparently the mangaka of Rosario and Vampire. I want to say they went under a different name during Rosario and Vampire, which is why I'm sure the Shonen Jump Twitter felt the need to say like, Hey, yeah, this is the same mangaka. I'd be really interested to learn the origin of, of the, of this new pen name. Maybe it doesn't really mean anything. I don't know. Just, just kind of curious is all. Yeah, the new pen name and also the format choice of reading this comic left to right is definitely interesting. Yes, so uh, just to speak on that real quickly, they are starting. A, they have started a new series called Ghost Reaper Girl, which is available on the Shonen Jump app. And uh, just like Lum said, this manga in particular reads left to right. So basically how all Western comics are read, which is very interesting. And uh, I don't want to speak too much on this because we'll talk about this on a later episode. But uh, I was a little, I wasn't like thrown off by it too much. I was definitely surprised by it. Um, it was an interesting choice. Um, and just to speak on that real quickly, um, I I don't think it really like took away from the flow of the comic at all. No, I think the author intended it to be read this way, so they drew it with that in mind. But yeah, again, we'll we'll talk more about this on another episode. Uh, but just to move on to the next thing, uh, it looks like they finally added something new in English on Manga Plus, and I'm very excited to start reading this at some point, uh, with Monster 8. Uh, previously, this was only available in Spanish, and uh, it looks like now it is available in English uh, for everybody to read on Manga Plus. Uh, I'm glad they're still adding new English uh, titles to the app. Uh, we'll definitely be checking this out. And uh, again, we'll also be covering this on a future episode of the podcast. Yeah, I uh, read the first chapter. It's basically kind of more of a lighthearted spin on the Attack on Titan formula. What with like kaiju-like monsters attacking a city and there's a corpse of people, you know, 
fighting them off with like high tech gear and whatnot. And it has a similar kind of twist at the end. So I'm kind of interested in seeing the direction this will take. I know a lot of people were very excited for this one. They like the author and I know uh, Matsumoto's previous stuff. So yeah, I think this is one to look forward to for sure. Yeah, I mean, just judging from the monster design and the uh, in the little like thumbnail on Manga Plus, I I already really liked the the, uh, the monster designs for this, so I'm definitely really interested in checking this out. Yeah, there's a monster that appears like really early on. Like, I think there's a lot of influence from Shin Godzilla in particular Ooh, yeah. in terms of design gore and then some of the other aspects of these monsters. I could totally see that, actually. Also, the focus of the series of, like, cleaning up after these monster attacks, too, so. Alright, just a small update on this title in particular. So, uh, a few days after we recorded this episode, uh, Shonen Jump from Viz Media announced that uh, they will be picking up monster number eight, uh, or I guess now we're going to have to call it Kaiju number eight, as, uh, as Viz has decided to localize the title interesting there uh so kaiju number eight uh will be or i guess at the time you're listening to this now is available on the shonen jump app and uh the first five chapters are free uh for anybody to read and so that's pretty cool um i think uh it's safe to say that uh if, if we haven't already mentioned it that uh Lum and i will be talking about this series uh, on a future episode of the podcast, Poss- possibly with some guests, uh, we'll we'll see. Um, but yeah, so that's something you get to look forward to there. But uh, yeah, that that's about it. Ka- Kaiju number eight uh, available on the Shonen Jump app. First five chapters for free uh, for anybody in North America or basically wherever Viz uh, releases all their manga titles. Uh, and now back to the show. Uh, Alright, but uh, just to move on to some stuff that has ended in Shonen Jump recently, um, this one is kind of old news at this point, but I still thought it was worth mentioning, that uh, Guardian of the Witch uh, has ended in Shonen Jump, uh, that ended back at the end of June, I think it lasted about 17 chapters? 19. 19, I was so close. Uh, I, I, I knew it was less than 20. yeah. The funniest part is that Chris from Weekly Among Recap exactly called how many chapters it would run, which very much <laughs> amused me. But yeah, Guardian of the Witch had a very abrupt ending, of course. Like, in the second to last chapter, they set up a new arc about this wow. girl who was going to go off to become a witch. Her dad didn't really want her to. So the main characters help them reunite and, you know, let them properly express how they feel. And then midway through the final chapter... It's a five-year flash-forward. Everything is resolved. They've fixed all the problems, you know, with the witch system. And, yeah, so it's a very, like, abrupt, abridged ending. That's like, well, we didn't have time to actually tell the rest of the story, so we're just going to skip right to the end to show you how it all wrapped up. What did you think of this one? Because I honestly dropped it around the point where they introduced, uh, who I'm just going to call Baron Zappelli, because he reminds me of Baron Zappelli from JoJo. Design is very similar. I like that character a lot. I like that training arc with that character. I like the arc after yeah. that with uh, the two. There were two new characters introduced after that who were really interesting. Overall, I thought the series had potential to get better. I think its strongest arc was like that arc with that mentor figure and then the two characters after that who appeared. 
But yeah, I mean, it was just cut short before it could really get going, you know? So, and it's just unfortunate. But it, it, there was potential there to tell an interesting story. And I think that Manapsva as a character in particular became really, really interesting. And I was hoping to see more of her arc. But I think, unfortunately, that was good short. Yep. Gonna add this one to the list of jump stops we will cover in the future. But uh, moving on from that, Lum, we had a bigger series that ended in jump just recently, if you want to talk about that. Yes, Haikyuu came to an end after an 8-year and 402-chapter run. And it was a really, really satisfying final chapter to cap off an incredibly satisfying, emotional, cathartic final arc. And there's so much to say about Haikyuu, but I think our good friend Marion said it best in their tribute to this series that you can find on their blog, which I highly encourage you to read. They make some great comparisons between Haikyuu themes and slam dunks, but also what made Haikyuu themes of coming into your own and entering the professional in you and like being okay with things changing in your life. So meaningful, impactful. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. So definitely read that. That'll be linked in show notes, I'm sure. And yeah, I mean, I'm IQ wonderful series like this final arc in particular, like really, I think has cemented it as an all time modern classic. And I think we will assuredly be covering it on the show in some point because we know so many people who are passionate about it. And I myself, I'm definitely itching to reread it from the beginning. Oh, man, like... I think Haikyuu is, like, one of the few really big Shonen Jump series where, um, where when I saw, like, all the talk about, like, its ending or whatever, like, I don't think I've seen a single person bash on the ending so far. Yeah, it was all positive. Such a rarity that a series will end and everyone is satisfied with it, and it speaks to, like, how special and how tight Haikyuu storytelling was that it never lost sight of its characters and it really paid everything off that it set up from the beginning. I like remember when Haiku was first being published in Jump and I saw, you know, people on whatever forums I was frequenting on back then, you know, talk about it and whatnot. And I remember even trying to like read a little bit of the manga, I think, when when it was first coming out. And I remember not being super into it for whatever reason, but like Honestly, like, in the time since then, I've had time to kind of, like, see people talk about Haikyuu and, like, really watch it, you know, grow from the little series that could, you know, and I definitely have more thoughts since then on, like, on the, on, on even, like, the setup of Haikyuu, like, in retrospect, the idea of having, you know, your two rival characters play on the same team, I think is kind of ingenious, honestly, that's not that's not really a dynamic I'm I've seen in like other manga before. Not 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 that I'm saying like it's never been done, but like that's that's not something I see very often. And I honestly thinking back on the idea of that dynamic makes me kind of want to go back and read this. Like obviously this is this is probably going to be like what I'm going to say like my my next big project for this podcast is read Haikyuu and talk about it cuz like I got. I gotta be honest. Like all, all the talk around it, and you know, all of our friends who've been on the podcast who like absolutely love the series. Like their love is infectious and makes me want to read it. So kudos to you guys. Yeah, I mean, shout out to the view from the top Haikyuu podcast, which Marion is a part of, along with Kendra, Gabi, 
and so many other great folks, Ash. So yeah, check that podcast out. Like They've done a great job analyzing and gushing over the greatness of IQ. In terms of other series that are ending is the Weathering With You adaptation by Wataru Kubota that will end with three compiled volumes overall, and the series itself will publish its last chapter in the next issue of Kodansha's Aftertune magazine in August. And this is a series that is being put out by Vertical. V-Lord reviewed the first volume and wrote a review on oldashcomic.com, which you can read. And even though a lot of the appeal of Shinkai's film is in the beauty of its animation, the manga does a lot to make itself stand out in terms of delivering the story in a more still medium of manga. So... I think it is definitely worth checking out if you are a fan of the film as well. But in terms of other series ending, we also have like a really big one. We have Fumi Yoshinaga's Uku the Inner Chambers, which is going to be ending with its 19th volume in winter 2021 after having entered its final arc in July. And this series has been running since 2004. Wow. In Hakusensha's Melody magazine. So it'll be ending after a run about 16, 17 years. Look at Interchambers is a really, really interesting series. Imagining a world of Edo Japan in which the male population is severely reduced. So women have kind of taken over the main governing roles in society. So it's kind of interesting look at shifted power dynamics in that way. And an interesting reimagining of, like, the role of the sexist genders in that kind of dynamic in, uh, you know, Edo period Japan. I really have enjoyed a lot of what I've read of it. So now that it is going to be ending soon, I definitely want to give it a full read beginning to end. For sure. I don't know how many people who are listening know this, but this is also a series that has been published by Viz for a long time now. And I definitely I've, I've seen I have seen this series around and it's it's always interested me like it's it's definitely on my list. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this isn't something that's ending. This is something that never even got a chance to begin. But Shun Kazakami's planned Gridman spinoff manga about Akane has been cancelled because of creative differences, basically. You know, so they were struggling over the direction of where to take the story for over a year. They couldn't really reach a consensus, so they've cancelled it. Which is a shame. Akane is definitely, like, you know, main antagonist but and most interesting character of Gridman. And I really, really enjoyed that character. Would like to have seen a spinoff about her. But, you know, there's plenty of other Gridman projects, including a new series that is coming out. So definitely excited and looking forward to those. And I'm sure there will be another new story about Akane down the line because she was a very memorable character. But now we're done with sterilization news. So we're going to head right into licensing. And first off, we're going to talk about Iridori's new website, Iridori Light, which is their safer work website where you can purchase Iridori Aqua and Sakura titles, and all the works are dear and free for you to keep, which is really, really cool. So if you want to buy Iridori's comics directly from them, you can through the Iridori Light website. 
Mm-hmm. That's that's uh, that's pretty cool to hear. We'll uh, we'll definitely link that in the show notes for anyone who's uh, interested in uh, reading uh, Iridori comics through uh, Outlet in particular. Yeah, in terms of incentives, you can earn points from this store by purchasing works on there, and those points can be traded in for discount codes for future purposes. Uh, so you know, kind of like Bookwalker. Ooh, that's that's pretty cool, actually. But yeah, speaking of uh, online readers and apps and whatnot, uh, another new one has uh, launched uh, from uh, Comic Co, I believe, uh, or at the very least, this is a an English version of the Comic Co app called Pocket Comics. Uh, that is available on iOS and Android services. Uh, the English version of this app, the Pocket Comics, is available in the United States, Canada, and Singapore, and launched with at least 41 titles, including uh, both Japanese manga and South Korean manhwa, uh, and that the service is also planning a Spanish language support sometime soon. Um, some, some of the titles that are included on the app include stuff like ReLife, how to keep a mummy, uh, as well as non baka. So, some some stuff that I believe used to be available on the Crunchyroll manga app and has basically now moved over here, uh, which is pretty interesting. Um, I I, I kind of like scrolled through the app a little bit. It, it kind of reminds me of um, oh, what what's the name of that one service? Um, manga dot something. Uh, I, I'm sure it'll come to me. It it. It basically it looks like um, a lot of their stuff because I think they have like a lot of webtoons and stuff on there too. The first few chapters of a lot of stuff are free, and then you're supposed to like earn points or coins or whatever in order to like read more chapters and stuff. It seemed pretty interesting, you know. If I if I ever want to read some of these titles, I'll probably just go there. But uh, just another manga slash comics app that I thought was uh, worth bringing up. Again, it's available on iOS and Android services, so anybody who wants to check that out can. Um, but speaking of apps, uh, we need to talk about Mangamo for a little bit. Obviously, we've talked about Mangamo on the show before. Uh, they are a manga app that has literally hundreds and hundreds of titles. Yeah, they keep adding stuff, too. I just popped it open and saw they've added a ton of new stuff. Like now, you can read a uh, hundred fifty chapters of Rave Master on there. Oh wow, that's that's pr- that's pretty big. Um, yeah, Manga Mo especially has a lot of like Kodansha properties on there again, like Rave Master, Fairy Tale, Attack on Titan, Fire Force, you name it. Um, as as well as you know a lot of stuff that like has has never been licensed in English before. So it's a it's a really good mix of stuff. And uh, Manga Mo, it seems. Uh, will be having their own original simul pub of the manga adaptation of Japan Sinks 2020. And obviously, I think we've mentioned on the show before that Japan Sinks is, you know, a, a story that has been adapted in so many times into so many mediums, uh, and that this is basically just another take on the story, not necessarily just a take on, like, say, the M- Masaki Yuasa anime that just came out. Although they share the same character designs. So, the, I mean, it, it's meant to tie in, but it's going in a very different direction tonally. And you'll definitely hear more of our thoughts on that because we already recorded a review of it that will come out in a few weeks after this podcast. Mm-hmm. But uh, suffice to say that uh, it's interesting. We'll at least give you that. Uh, it looks like new chapters are going to be coming out bi-weekly. 
And so, yeah, if you're interested in uh, in reading this, uh, again, it is, it is available on Manga Mo for you to read. And uh, I, I know something that uh, some people kind of had issues with when this app first came out is that it was only available on iOS. But it looks like Manga Mo announced recently uh, that they do have plans to become available in other territories and to launch an Android version of the app uh, within the coming weeks or months. Uh, I don't believe at the time of this recording that is up just yet, but uh, the, the the good thing is that, you know, they, they are planning on having an Android app in the future, and obviously when that becomes available, we'll, we'll, let, we'll let you guys know, because uh, I, I did think it was kind of a shame that anyone who d- didn't have an iPhone basically didn't have access to it, um, but the important thing is that it's coming, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, and they've improved their interface a lot. It's not as buggy. It's much easier to read stuff on there now. Easier to catalog and find what you're looking for. So it's become a much better app and service for sure. So glad to see it expand as well. Yes, yes. And uh, another important thing about Mangamo, if we haven't mentioned it already, is that they do have free chapters, but if you want to read a lot of their stuff, uh, it is $4.99 a month to have access to everything. But honestly, like, there's so much on that service that I, I, th- I think it's pretty worth it, quite honestly. Yeah, I mean, it's actually becoming quite a great resource, especially if you want to read a lot of long-running Kodansha stuff, you're going to get a lot of that on here. Oh, yeah. But I think that's about it for Manga Mo. Yeah, but speaking of other manga websites that have a lot to offer, Manga Planet has recently announced like a really great new relicense in the form of Kia Asamiya's Silent Mobius manga. Of course, this manga was previously released by Viz back in 1988. It's been a long time. You could still probably find like those old single issues at AnimeCon dealers halls. I'd have seen them around. But yeah, this manga has been relicensed for a digital distribution on Manga Planet. So you'll be able to read it all on there. No set release date yet, but it's coming. So that is really, really cool. And there's also some other cool new additions from uh, Manga Planet. They're going to be releasing Akira Ito, Yoshio, Sekine, and Jun Ikeda's Enchanted Racer series, Sayo and Himakawa Arts Marin, Yoshiki Tanaka and Takedo Kirishima's Prince of Lanling, and Yoshitaka Amino's Zan. Those are all out now. They were all previously available on Comixology since last year, but now you can read these on Monk Planet 2. And in addition, uh, Futakia announced that they are in talks to add more Boys Like Manga from the publisher Libre. And they're going to, you know, reveal some titles and release dates about that at a later date. So yeah, some really cool new announcements from Fantasista regarding Manga Planet and Futakia. Mm-hmm. But, uh... This might be early to call, maybe, or maybe you'll agree with me, Lum, but uh, just moving on to Kodansha, I think Kodansha has basically won the licensing game this past month. Yes, but at what cost? To be honest, uh, I had a recent conversation with someone who works for Kodansha who was a little upset at, like, Kodansha licensing so many series because... 
They don't really pay their freelancers great rates. They're flooding the market with a lot of manga while not really paying the people making that possible livable wages. So it's a little complicated there. But indeed, Kadansha is licensing and releasing a lot of stuff. But you can also read a lot of that stuff now, I guess, on Isneo. This is kind of continuing off of Kadansha Vertical, releasing a bunch of series and a bunch of their comics on different platforms. So now 400 Kadansha Comics titles are going to be available on Isneo's premium service. And so you can read them on Isneo's website, app, on Android, iOS, Switch, and Android TV. So, yeah, I mean... These will all include like all the big titles like Attack on Hunt and Battle Angel Legia, Fairy Tale, Seven Deadly Sins, Space Brothers. And yeah, so if you want to read big Kadansha titles with, you know, just a subscription service, uh, you can subscribe to Isneo to check all those out. But yeah, in addition to that, we've also got, uh, you know, Bookwasher and Kadansha partnering for some exclusives. Like, they are going to be releasing through Bookwalker Global. So, Peru's Why the Hell Are You Here, Teacher, and Kimitake Yoshioka's 10 Peru, digitally and in English. And, you know, the first three volumes of Why the Hell Are You Here, Teacher, and the first two volumes of 10 Peru are already available on Bookwalker. Why the Hell Are You Here, Teacher is about, you know, I guess uh, a teacher who is... I guess having illicit sexual relations with their student or I mean the summary is written in a very jokey way but yeah it's mainly like a problem teacher and some uncomfortable hijinks happening with uh, their student. And then Ten Peru is about a guy called Akamitsu Akagane told by their father that no one can live alone but he's determined and so he has no desire to become like his father. But he has a chance encounter with a young woman that leaves him with tots that are very impure. So to get rid of them, he becomes a Buddhist monk to renounce his worldly ways. But the temple he decides to devote himself to is, it turns out, full of women. And that same young woman that tempted him and gave him those impure tots, oh well, he's there too. So what's a guy to do? So it's a harem rom-com series set at a Buddhist temple from the creator of Grand Blue Dreaming. So, hey. There you go. So both of the series are on there on Bookwalker. But, I mean, Kananja announced, like, even more new stuff uh, that is going to be coming to print and digital, if you want to take those away. Uh, yeah, so it looks like uh, Kananja, along with Vertical, announced a lot of new licenses, uh, starting with uh, Summer of You from Nagisa Furuya, that'll be coming out in both print and digital on uh, spring 2021, in which the synopsis reads, uh, Chiharu Sayaki and Wataru Toda are two high school students who share a common hobby, uh, and that is they both love to watch movies. Uh, after they meet, they become fast friends until one day when Chiharu confesses his love for Wataru. Uh, Wataru says that Chiharu's confession doesn't bother him, and the boys continue throughout their summer, going to pilgrimages to see film spots from their favorite movies. Uh, but the more time he spends with Chiharu, Wataru realizes he may not only be as unaffected by Chiharu's confession as he claims to be, uh, but those feels may also be mutual. So uh, possibly steamy uh, romance here. Very interesting. 
Uh, and then afterwards, we have Chasing After Aoi Koshiba uh, from Hazuki, Takeoka, and Fly, uh, which will be coming out in both print and digital on March 2021. Uh, at her high school reunion, a woman reminisces about the shallow girl she once was in high school and her absent first love who taught her so much. So, uh, a possible uh, Yuri high school romance there. Hmm, interesting to see a Yuri series from the creator of Masamunikun's Revenge. I would not expect that from them. Mm-hmm, no, yeah, especially considering, you know, what Masamunikun's Revenge was all about. But I don't know, it, 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 could be, it could be an interesting, like, bittersweet little story. Yeah, no, it sounds cute. I mean, both this and some reviews sound like very cute BL and Yuri manga, respectively. So I'm actually really, really looking forward to these. Next up from the vertical side of things, we have Haru's Curse from Asuka Konishi. That'll be out in print and digital on February 2021. And uh, after Natsumi's younger sister and best friend Haru dies at the age of 19, she begins dating Haru's fiance Togo on the condition that he take her only to places he had taken her sister. The relationship deepens as the seasons pass, but Haru's curse lies between them. Will there be happiness after Haru's curse is broken? So, definitely seems like a very somber love story about two people connected by their deceased loved one. It's It sounds pretty interesting. Uh, next up, we have A School Frozen in Time from Naoshi Arakawa, uh, the creator of Your Lie in April, uh, with Mizuki Sujimura uh, being credited for the original novel version of this. This will be out in print digital on April 2021. Uh, on a snowy day like any other, classmates and childhood friends Hiroshi and Mizuki arrive at school to find the campus eerily empty. Uh, and before long, they find themselves trapped inside with six other friends. And even stranger, all the clocks have stopped at a very specific moment. The exact time when a former classmate jumped off the school roof to their death three months earlier. Uh, it turns out that this departed friend is their way out of their current predicament and may even be among their group, but no one can remember who it was that took their life on that sad day. Uh, the students must face themselves and their past memories to piece together the identity of the suicide victim or risk a similar fate, with their lives lost and forgotten inside these frigid school walls. Uh, now this definitely sounds uh, very interesting. Some sort of time travel-y, almost sci-fi elements, yeah. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, this sounds interesting from the writer of the anime supremacy novel and from the author of Your Lie in April, very popular series. Like, that's a pretty interesting combo of writer, author, artist pair. So, yeah, I mean, very, very intriguing. I mean, honestly, like, as soon as I saw the cover from this, I was definitely like I've I've seen this character design before. These last two were previously licensed and we talked about them on the show before, uh but they are getting a print released and those those are uh Star-Crossed from Junko, the author of Kiss Him Not Me. Uh that'll be seeing a print debut on February 2021 along with Cells at Work Baby. Uh that'll be uh coming out on spring 2021. Uh so that's that's pretty cool to see those getting some uh some some print love there, I guess. 
Gosh, there's a baby spinoff of Cells at Work now. My gosh, so many Cells of Work spinoffs. Again, we've mentioned this before, but there are more volumes of these spinoffs than there are of the main series. <laughs> I mean, Cells at Work has to be like giving Kanancha some kind of money if they're willing to like. It's so franchisable. Jeez. I I guess so. But yeah, that's uh, that's about it for uh, some of the Kodansha releases there. Well, I mean, there are some other things that they have announced, because uh, they also have announced that they are going to be releasing Sumorishita's A Sign of Affection in March 2021 in print. And they've already given that series a simulpub on Crunchyroll that you can go and check out. Unfortunately, there is a chapter gap between the first chapter and like the last three most recent chapters. So I think you'll have to get like the digital volumes to read what is in between. But you can keep up with the newest chapters starting from chapter 11. So that is pretty cool. And they are also going to be releasing Shuzo Oshimi's Blood on the Tracks digitally starting in August. It says August 2021 here, but I think it's supposed to be next month. But yeah, I mean, Blood on the Tracks will be coming to digital uh, sooner than later, it seems. So yeah, some cool new titles from established authors that you'll be able to check out. Yeah, I, I I think um I think Super Eyepatch Wolf did a video on Blood on the Tracks in particular. Yeah, I mean I've read Blood on the Tracks. It's a really interesting series about like kind of a very unhealthy mother son relationship that has a big big twist at the end that shows uh, some real dark sides. It's a really interesting series. We Lord wrote a review on it uh, for allcashcomic.com. Definitely check that out. But yeah, I mean, I love Shuzo Ishimi's works. They go into very dark places of the human psyche and relationships between people. So yeah, this is another one to keep an eye on. Check out. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like we need to cover something from Shuzo Oshimi on the show at some point. I feel like I'm really missing out on their works. I've I've heard a lot of really good things about their stuff. Oh, definitely. I would love to check out and read for this show, Flowers of Evil and Happiness and a bunch of their work. I really, really love. But also it's worth mentioning that you can read the Simul Pub for a sign of affection also wherever Kanatra sells their Simul Pub chapters because it's on a, I was on Kindle and Comicology and Bookwalker 2 for about one ninety nine chapter. So if you don't have a subscription to Crunchyroll Manga, you can also check it out there. Mm-hmm. But Lum, I th- I think it's time to get to the the biggest reason why I feel like Kodansha has won the licensing game. I mean, they made the biggest announcements, the uh, long heralded return of a beloved series that had everyone freaking out, accidentally announced through the lineup of panels at Comic Con at home. And then when that was revealed, people were freaking out. They were like, oh my gosh, is this happening? Kodansha is doing a panel on this series? That has to mean they have got it. And yes, this is a series that had previously been published here in the US. It was a very big series. 
very beloved. Definitely you would consider it among the all-time classics of Shonen and a Shonen Jump classic, but series is no longer affiliated with Shonen Jump or Viz because of the authors falling out with Shueisha, and they moved it over to Kanansha, and so ever since they moved it over to Kanansha in Japan and started doing a re-release of it in Japan, people are, were hoping and wondering, when will Kanansha USA license this series and re-release it? We want this. We want the complete ending the complete experience and that experience is of course the legendary the classic shonen by Hiroyuki Takei Shaman King that's right, Kodansha USA at long last has finally re-licensed Shaman King and all 35 volumes of the series that's right 35 volumes the complete series that even Viz did not put out, including the true ending of the series. All of it is going to be available digitally starting next month. You can read it all on Comixology Unlimited and you can buy the individual volumes themselves. But that is not all. It's not only going to be a digital exclusive. The series will be coming to print in Street 1 Omnibus volumes starting next spring with a planned release of 11 different volumes so all 35 of those volumes are going to be released across 11 on the puzzle one starting next spring so that's something to look forward to but that is not all they aren't even stopping there because in addition to the main shaman king series they have licensed practically all the spin-offs. That's right. I'm talking Shaman King Zero, the prequel series. That is coming digital on August 4th. That's right. I'm talking about Shaman King Flowers, the sequel series about Yo and Anna-san Hannah. That is coming on digital August 11th. That's right. I'm talking about Shaman King the Superstar which is another sequel series. That's coming on August 18th. And that's right, I'm also talking about Shaman King Red Crimson, the spin-off sequel series about Tao Jun and Horohoro investigating what happened to John and all that stuff. Like, that is coming on August 25th, 2020. All the Shaman King spin-offs, except for Marco's, the most recent one, about, of course, Marco has been licensed by Kodansha, and they are all going to be coming next month digital, with monthly releases, it looks like, because the second ones of the series are listed for September. So that is a lot of Shaman King coming your way real, real soon. So already you can read all of the original series of Shaman King on comicology like right now after this episode has been released you can read it all on there right now but also within the next couple weeks you're going to be able to start reading all the spin-offs and the next spring you're going to get some glorious omnibuses of the original series in print so this is incredibly incredibly exciting this has really made a lot of people's day. So much excitement over it. V-Lord was freaking out. V-Lord was the one who was able to break the news because V-Lord sneakily and cleverly used a VPN after Kodansha's Shaman King panel was region blocked on YouTube because initially they uploaded the wrong panel to start with. Then they uploaded the right panel, but then it was copyright claim and region blocked in America. V-Lord managed to break the news and got... The news out there about all the spinoffs. And so 
kudos to V-Lord. But yeah, I mean, a lot of excitement on Shaman King. Honestly, if you're able to, V-Lord, why don't you just explain, like, your excitement over Shaman King? Like, what are your thoughts on this? <sighs> Looks like I got back from my meeting at the perfect time. You did. I am so <laughs> glad. Yeah. Shaman King is gonna be so hype. Like, if you had yeah, told me, like, in early July, like, after, like, Slayers got announced by J-Alpha Club, like, if anything could, like, peak that for me this year, Kodansha found a way. They they found a freaking way. We're getting all of Shaman King, like, all of it, except for, like, Shaman King Marcos, but that doesn't have a volume release yet, but all of it otherwise. This is, like, a freaking pipe dream. Like, literally, we're next month we're getting a new Shaman King release every week like imagine how ridiculous that sounds yeah i mean they've been working on it for a long time i mean v lord you had some insights on this i mean you'd been talking with some folks who were dropping hints yeah like i heard down the pipeline that this has been worked on for a while which is not too surprising because like the trademark for kodansha and shaman king has been around for like an english release since 2017 mm-hmm. so like mm, wow it's clearly been in the works and obviously like shaman king has been slowly being rolled out internationally in other countries in like the past like few years so it was kind of about time but the fact that they're doing so much of it at once is the really kind of crazy part like one thing maxi and maxi and i were talking about this like yesterday night and like they're releasing flowers in superstar at the same time which are sequels to each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, is is really strange, but it goes to show that they want to get this out as fast as possible. Like, they're being released monthly. Yeah, like, I think they're going big with this. Yeah, so it's, it's really cool. Um, the physical release is also something I was not expecting, because none of Kodansha's Comixology like, original releases so far have gotten physical releases. This is the first one. So that, that's kind of really interesting, and I'm... I'm kind of hoping that they're doing a new translation for that release, because... Yeah, that is one thing to note, is that the translation for this release, you know, based on the preview pages that were going out, it is the Viz translation that they have just re-lettered into this new release. And so the only, like, new parts that would be translated are going to be the stuff that wasn't in the old Viz release, like some bonus chapters in the middle that weren't written until, like, after the Shonen Jump run, and then, of course, the final chapters of the final three volumes. Yeah, like, the the super dope Marco fight, and the, the... Basically, that the, the Marco versus thing. Lucas. Yeah, don't God. even remember Lucas' name. I forgot his name. It's been years. <laughs> but no, that, that fight's amazing. Years. Um, Wasn't it only a year and a half, two years ago when we recorded the Shaman King? That's still several years. I guess that's true. <laughs> but no, like yeah. But uh, Kodansha generally, their digital teams and physical release teams are different. At least for digital first. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that's a different translation because I'm gonna buy all of them otherwise. Mm-hmm. Because, like, it's Shaman King, and it's three-in-one, and it's going to be beautiful. But I think having a new translation on top of that would be really nice. I mean, in any case, though, like, this is literally the best time to be a Shaman King fan, or to even be getting into Shaman King. Like, the fact that it's going to be on Comixology Original, so, like, all the platforms that's available, like, it's going to be really easy to binge before the anime comes out. And, like, even though, like, the spinoffs and stuff aren't going to be a part of that line, like, 
they're coming out so fast that by the time you're done reading it, you're going to be able to jump right into Flowers and probably even be able to continue on into Superstar and all the other ones. So there's a lot of Shaman King to dive into, and I have uh, plans. Do you want to announce those plans? or I don't know. Like, probably not. Okay, well, I mean, stay tuned, because there are big things coming. It's definitely exciting to be a Shaman King fan, and definitely I think there's going to be some new fandom discourse. I think that V-Lord in particular is going to be someone lying the way in terms of some new Shaman King appreciation. Woo, Shaman King! <laughs> yeah. Look around you, look beyond for some more Shaman King fun. Unbreakable Bond. I do want to put out there that uh, I'm definitely very excited for this as someone who's never read Shaman King and has been really, really holding out for this uh, for this complete edition to finally get an English release. I, I tweeted about this, but uh, for anyone who's been who is uh, supporting us on Patreon, I guarantee you we are going to do a Manga Merrick's Book Club on this at some point. Uh, whenever we can uh, get that ready, because that is definitely on my list of series that uh, I really want to talk about. But yeah, no, that 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 is that is that is like the only thing I am kind of curious about. Uh, with uh, you and Vlerd mentioning the translation, because if you if you if you watch the panel on YouTube, Ben Applegate himself does mention, yeah, that the print omnibuses are going to have a revised translation. So okay, so so it it will it will be interesting to see. Um, to kind of compare those new omnibuses to to the old edition of Shaman King, and even like what we're gonna have digitally on Comicsology. But but in general, I'm really excited to get to read this soon. And ah man, I'm I'm just so excited. Like I'm so excited to go through Shaman King for the first time. Yeah, it's a great series. I'm excited for a lot of people to get into it. Like now that it's more accessible than ever, and available truly complete for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know what else we could say other than if you have been waiting for a new release of Shaman King, please support this. Um I mean, literally if you if you have a subscription to Comicsology Unlimited, um I forget how much that is off the top of my head. I want to say it's 6.99 a month. Some, somewhere in that ballpark, if you get a subscription to that service, you will literally just be able to read all 35 volumes of Shaman King just right there. Uh, along with some other like Kodansha stuff like Beck and uh and Drops of God, which I think they're still working on too. And uh yeah, I mean honestly I'm I'm really thinking about getting a Comicsology Unlimited uh subscription soon here because God I really want to read this. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's worth it for the volume of stuff they have on there, like long series that are really worthwhile to read. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, I'm I'm sure, obviously, this this is because of the new anime coming out next year, yeah, which... they planned it to coincide. I mean, the print release is coming out at the exact same time the anime will come out next year, so... Which, the, the good thing about the anime is that even if for some reason, and I mean, knock on wood, uh, if for some reason it turns out to be anywhere near bad at all, at least it'll be a good advertisement for the manga. Yeah, but I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna hold out hope that the adaptation of the of the manga will be pretty good. I think. I think too. I think there again. There's a lot to be excited about if you're a Shaman King fan in North America, English speaking countries in general. Oh yeah. 
All right, and this is the part of the show where I get to rain on everybody's parade, uh, but no. So uh, it looks like a few days after we recorded this episode in particular, uh, Kodaji USA came out with a statement basically saying that uh, they were going to have to momentarily delay the, the digital release of Shaman King and uh, all of their subsequent uh, spinoff series. Um, just, just to kind of read from, uh, Kodansha's, uh, press release, just kind of word for word, uh, in an effort to give Shaman King the production quality it deserves and its fans the best manga experience, Kodansha USA Publishing regrets to announce a delay in the digital release date. We sincerely apologize for this last minute holdup as we are well aware of how excited fans are for this release, but we also know fans will appreciate the final results. So that's very interesting to me. I wonder if maybe there was just some kind of, like, uh, quality check that maybe they haven't had the chance to do, or maybe there were some mistakes in the translation, I don't know. I mean, um, I think we mentioned it just a few minutes ago on the podcast that, uh, you know, it, it seems like uh, from the preview pages that have been sent out to some people that... Uh, this, uh, whatever translation was going to be up on Comixology was basically just the old Viz Media translation, uh, obviously with different lettering, obviously, but like, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I can't really imagine what's holding them up because, uh, you know, but, but by the time you're listening to this podcast, we should have been able to read all of Shaman King through the Comixology, uh, Unlimited subscription but uh yeah uh i don't think there's been any update on uh on a new release date for any digital shaman king i mean obviously you know with this news this means that they will be uh delaying all the spin-off series that they picked up as well basically so that uh shaman king fans can uh experience shaman king without any spoilers or narrative confusion they don't uh uh, they don't want anybody new to Shaman King to read these and, uh, you know, uh, basically spoil themselves and whatnot on, on the original Shaman King. Because uh, a lot of these subsequent series do kind of require, I'm assuming, some kind of knowledge on Shaman King to enjoy them. So I, I get it. It wouldn't really make sense to release these without the original Shaman King already out there. So that makes sense to me. Um, it looks like the, as far as like, uh, the release of their physical reprints, uh, it looks like those haven't been delayed and that, uh, according to the press release, uh, they are still scheduling those for a 2021 and 2022, uh, release schedule in particular. So, uh, that's good that, uh, they're still planning on, you know, releasing those, uh, when they said they would. Again, I, I I really wish we. I mean, I guess they. I guess there's only so much they can tell us. But like, I'm, I'm. I guess I can't really think of like what is holding them up, uh, in terms of releasing Shaman King digitally. Um, uh, I I mean, I don't know. I guess we'll just kind of have to wait and see when uh, Kanachi USA is ready to release Shaman King digitally again. Uh, obviously, when we when we have some kind of update on this story, we will let you know on the podcast. Uh, but for now, um, I mean, you know, we we waited this long on Shaman King from Kanansha. Uh, what's 
what's possibly a few more days, weeks, maybe even months. I don't know. What, what's what's a little more time? You know, like it, it'll it'll be here when it's here. Uh, they have it, and that's all that matters. I'm still really excited to read all of Shaman King eventually. And uh, maybe hopefully picking up those new reprint editions. Oh man, I would. I just can't wait. Um, I'm very excited. If if you couldn't already tell. Um, but all right, back to the show. But yeah, I mean, this was such big news. Now that I'm thinking about it, man, we probably could have ended the licensing part of this with this news because this was probably the biggest news. I mean, we're going to end it with another equally big news, at least for old school fans. Uh, but yeah, so this was pretty big. One that V-Lord might have mentioned for anyone who was listening. Yeah, I mean, V-Lord did also spoil that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I also... We still do have to touch on a few more cadential-related stuff because there are some cadential-related simulcasts that have been added to Crunchyroll. Namely, there is Cardcopter Sakura, the Clear Card Arc, there's Ghost and Shell, the Humor and Agilurum, and there's Ashidaka. We talked about Ashidaka earlier in the year. We reviewed the first two chapters. But yeah, now you can read all of Ashidaka on Crunchyroll Manga. You can read all of Ghost and Shell, and Algorithm on Crunchyroll Manga. And you can't read all the card capture clear card on Crunchyroll manga. You can read like the last couple chapters in the first chapter, but there's like a 40 chapter gap of stuff you can't read. So again, you're going to have to read the volumes to fill your gap yourself uh, in order to keep up with the new stuff. But it is cool to see these series, you know, be added to Crunchyroll manga. I mean, these are all pretty big, high profile series. So it's cool to have a place to keep up with them if you have a Crunchyroll manga subscription. So yeah, pretty nice. Now we're basically done with Kodansha and Crunchyroll manga. So we're going to probably get into some other publishers. And actually, there's a new publisher that has popped up called Starfruit Books. Another one? Yeah, indeed. They have licensed Kyuta Minami's Pop Life manga. And they're planning to release that series digitally in... September through their websites. It's a two-volume slice of life series. This company, Starford Books, was founded by Matt Hosh, and they are going to make their releases available worldwide as PDF and CBZ files. Ooh. The story of Pop Life is about Mongarita Sakura and her son Kaede, who goes to a correspondence high school, and they attend. Uh, with that, with event company play Akemi and Akemi's school children, Taichi and Ruru. And so the two fatherless families live calm, free, gentle lives while supporting each other. So it sounds very sweet and nice. And yeah, this is a series that's been around uh, since 2016 and ended in 2018. The author has done a ton of other work. And this is like the only title that Starfoot has announced so far. But hey, a new publisher announcing an interesting new book. Definitely something to look into and check out. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because this is also a series published by Shueisha in Japan, which uh, I was kind of interested in looking that up. And I guess it ran in a magazine called Funwari Jump, which I'm going to assume is a seinen magazine because like the the little research I was able to do on Pop Life made it seem like this is a seinen title. So I thought that was interesting. But yeah, no, it looks like uh, that's coming out in September. So that's interesting. I would definitely like to check this out. It sounds cool. Definitely. But with that detour into a new publisher out of the way, we'll get back into some new licenses from some big established publishers like Yen Press, if you want to take that away, Colton. 
Yeah, so let, let's talk about Yen Press for a little bit. Some of their licenses include some some licenses connected to some uh, some pretty well known franchises that uh, I might not know about too much, including a certain magical index SS uh, from Kazuma Kamachi and Kiyotaka Haimura, and uh, a certain magical index is definitely like the one franchise I have really not nothing to say about because I. On a, do, are you familiar with a certain magical index and a certain match scientific ray gun or whatever? Uh, there, there's a lot of like... Yeah, there's a lot of uh, stuff in this universe. I have not really dug into it. I'm you know, tangentially aware of stuff about it. But this one, you know, it seems to be another story about like the main protagonist. And it seems like all, a lot of the ensemble is going to be in this. Accelerator looks like it's going to be in this. So... Yeah, I mean, if you're a fan of the series, I think this will be another thing to check out. Uh, next up, we have Goblin Slayer Side Story 2 Dai Katana, the uh, the light novel. A story written by uh, Kumo Kagyu and uh, illustrated by Lack. And it even says here that uh, Dai Katana takes place a decade prior to the events of the original series, the original Goblin Slayer. And uh, this spinoff series tells the story of Sword Maiden and her party of six as they journey to slay the Demon King, a feat which made her a legend in the world of Goblin Slayers. So if you're a fan of Goblin Slayer, you'll probably want to check this out. Um, I'm maybe slightly 10% more uh, familiar with Goblin Slayer than I am a certain magical index, I have to be honest. But, uh, you know, again, if you're a fan of Goblin Slayer, go check it out. I should also put out there, um, none of these have any, like, release dates yet at the time of this recording. Next up, we have The White Cat's Revenge as Plotted from the Demon King's Lap. Uh, basically, a, a manga written by Aki, uh, illustrated by Kureha and Yamigo, in which the synopsis reads, uh, My life was pretty ordinary. Go to college, live in an apartment, hang out with people. But because of that pompous, irritating girl I grew up with, I got dragged into a huge mess. As usual, now I'm in another world where she's a well-respected shrine maiden, and I got turned into a cat. How did it come to this? <laughs> this sounds like a... Pretty wacky little series, you know. Yeah, or reincarnated as a small, cute animal kind of story. I like. I really like the cover for this one, and I really like how soft the colors feel. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, it's 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 very appealing. Dress is very nice and flowy, very classical, almost Disney esque. Oh yeah. Uh, next up, we have Wolf and Parchment, which is a manga written by Isuna Hasekura and illustrated by Hidori. In which, uh, when Cole leaves the cozy mountain village of Neohira, aspiring to become a full-fledged member of the clergy, a certain imp impetuous wolf can't help stowing away aboard his ship to follow him for a chance to have a grand adventure of her own. This is a spin-off of Spice and Wolf. It takes place ten years after the end of the original series. And interestingly enough, this is not the only new Spice and Wolf related license because they also have licensed a new book called Keito Kome Illustrations by Symbol of Tentier Calvado Art Book and that's going to compile color art of the manga adaptation of Spice and Wolf 
a compendium of illustrations delivering, you know, a story that ran strong for 10 years is going to be, you know, a great, you know, art book for Spice and Wolf fans. So two great new releases if you're a fan of the Spice and Wolf franchise. Also, that's going to be great for fans, if you're a fan of Sword Art Online, that is, is a new Sword Art Online Project Alicization manga, of course, written by series creator Reki Kawahara, but also art by Katari Yamada, and Abek is providing some original illustrations, and... This is, of course, an adaptation of the Alicization arc, which is like the longest arc in SAO. So you've been looking forward to read the manga version of that, or the story in manga form. There you go. And so I think Yen has definitely delivered a lot of interesting new titles, new releases related to very popular light novel franchises. Definitely if you're a fan of the Raildex series, Goblin Slayer, SAO, and Spice and Wolf, they've got some cool new stuff for you. But that's not all in terms of Yen Press releases, and certainly not all in terms of light novel releases from then. They announced at Animex for Light that they have licensed a ton of new titles, the first of which being Unnamed Memory, the light novel series from Kuji Furumiya. Now, this is another title. Among all these other titles, none of them have release dates, but the synopsis, the premise of Unnamed Memory by Kujifumiya is that it is about the relationship between the noble prince Oscar and the powerful immortal witch Tanasha. Oscar has been cursed since childhood, never can have a child of his own, so he seeks out the calamitous witch Tanasha to find a way to break the curse and braves the ties of her traveler, and uh, when they meet... Tanasha reveals that she has a strange connection to Oscar, and so a curious courtship begins between them that threatens to shake the very power structures of their world. So, interesting relationship dynamic there. Definitely a curious little hook, but we've also got a, another series called Reign of the Seven Spellblades, which is by Bokuto Uno and Ruria Miyuki. This is another Magic Academy kind of series about students in their first year there. A uh, maverick, a boy clad in black robes with a white cane, sword structured zip, approaches mysterious school, and then a young man called Oliver must form a bond between the Kitina wielding girl named the now if he survived the dangers he's supposed to face at the school. Which is, of course, as it always is, anything but what it seems. And so this actually had an anime series a few years ago in 2016. But yes, this novel, the original novels, is going to be being released by Yen Press. Yen Press is also releasing something that Makoto Shinkai fans are going to like. The novel of A Place Promised in Our Early Days, which is of course set in Soviet-occupied Japan of an alternate history where two childhood friends have grown apart and find each other again and begin a search for a missing third friend and possibly will save the world in the process. So yeah, the novelization of Shinkai's film. If you enjoy the film, if you enjoy Shinkai's work, enjoy his writing, definitely check that out. You can also check out Rui Tsukio and Reyes, the world's finest assassin reincarnated in a different world as an aristocrat light novels. Like, these light novels are about, you know, it's another kind of Isekai reborn in another world thing. This time a great assassin is reborn in another world and finds himself heir to a long line of killers from the shadows. And with new modern experience and knowledge and all that stuff, all the stuff of, you know, benefits of being reincarnated while living in the modern world. You know, using that in conjunction with the magic and techniques of the new world, you know, he may very well become the most 
you know, unstoppable assassin in history. So, hey, there you go. Got a leg up there in terms of advantages. But, yeah, that's another Isekai reincarnated tale. And actually, you can also check out some of the manga adaptations of the author Sukiyo's works from Seven Seas. They've also written the Dungeon Builder novels that, you know, Seven Seas releases the manga adaptation of. Yen Press also licensed The Angel Next Door, supposed to be written by Saiki Sun and Hane Koto. This is about a dude called Amai who lives alone in an apartment. The most beautiful girl in school, my hero, lives just next door. They've never spoken until the day they, you know, sees her in distress on a rainy day, lends her his umbrella, and to return the favor, she offers some help around the house. And a relationship slowly begins to blossom as the distance between them closes. So, you know, a straightforward, incidental chance romance story between two people so close yet so far apart. Yan Press is also bringing out King of the Labyrinth from Shen This is a story set in a labyrinth, of course. But in the tenth floor of this labyrinth lies a minotaur in wait. And so many brave adventurers have challenged the great beast, and all of them have failed. But the monster just demands more powerful opponents. And so it bluntly pursues strength at any cost. Maybe it'll grow strong enough to surpass the rules of the labyrinth itself. Can any adventurer hope to stand against the mighty creature? Very intriguing premise story set about fighting this Minotaur character. Oh yeah, I'm already really super into this. Um, I I love the cover for this, and I love the synopsis for this, and how it's written, and I, I need this now. We've also got another Magic Academy kind of series from Kujira, Witches Love at the End of the World. Set in a world, of course, where magic rules in the shadows. There's a skill for witches. The Academy trains on witches on a pattern of revenge against those who have only used them as tools. And so our protagonist, Alice, a magical prodigy, has lived her life by this goal only to have her world turned upside down by Mari, a magicless human who enters the school and steals her heart away. Cute little Yuri sound and story set in a magic-filled world with a very striking, beautiful cover. Oh, so, yeah. So, definitely very curious. Another interesting Yuri tale it comes from Kazura Kinosaki, called Strawberry Fields once again, about a high schooler who loves Tommy Gaines and refuses to have a streety romance, but caught off guard when the new transfer student suddenly discovers that she is Akira's future lover. And so, it's a bittersweet love story of two girls who are more than friends, but less than lovers, and have clearly different preferences in terms of real and fictional women, or people they are interested in anyway we also got a cool new series from a veteran shoujo manga artist marimo ragawa and bl light novelist narize konohara a very strange and sexy tale called the vampire and his pleasant companions about a vampire from nebraska named al who gets frozen in bath form and winds up in japan under the care of a dark and mysterious man covered in a bloody scent so that sounds like a really intriguing vampire based bl tale there yeah, this one this one was interesting to me just because um I didn't recognize the name of the uh, shoujo manga artist at first until I saw that they were responsible for Baby and Me, which I haven't read, but that was that was definitely a series that I had always seen around when uh when I used to visit my local borders. And I remember I remember seeing like like the art for that series and being kind of turned off by it for whatever reason. Um but clearly 
uh, Regawa has uh, really grown as an artist since then. Like, I mean, obviously, Baby and Me is from like 20 years ago, like literally from the 90s. Yeah. Um, and j- just just to like just just to see the contrast between Baby and Me and this is it's 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 kind it's kind of shocking, honestly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Baby and Me was definitely a pretty fondly remembered series, I think. It was one of the original titles in the Shoujo Beat magazine was published as well. And uh, this series is basically an adaptation of Konohara's novel series. So the original novel series is five volumes long, and then this Maya so far is about four volumes long. So we'll see if it is able to adapt the complete story of the original novels. I mean, as, as far as, like, BL goes, I, I actually kind of like the setup for this premise. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. We've also got another interesting series from Tetsuya Tashiro, who is one of the authors of Akame Gakil, and that art style is definitely very recognizable just from the cover. But, yeah, it's a story called Slasher Maidens. It's set in a world where a phenomenon where people who suffer from mental stress reach a peak transformation into monsters called Kaijin, and they succumb to murderous impulses. So such supernatural events were completely unrelated to Proper Asuma Sudo, but after he transfers to an all-girl school while chasing the girl of his dreams, he discovers the school was actually a front for an anti-Kaijin special agency. So this idea of, like, people, you know, under the pressures of mental stress, like, they suddenly become, like, monstrous creatures. Very reminiscent of stuff like, you know, Fire Force and stuff, but this has an interesting twist in that they're becoming, like, kaiju kind of creatures. Mm. So, yeah, could be quite interesting. I mean, the setup also kind of seems... At first, kind of a little similar to the setup of a comic kill in terms of like the main protagonist, like kind of stumbling into another world of like this agency, you know, fighting the bad guys. But yeah, pretty cool. Also, really, really cool. Something I'm really excited, probably the most excited out of like all this batch of licenses is Kamomi Shirahama's Enalia or Enial and Dewila or Endevi, which is about a coy angel called Enial and Duilla, who is a serious devil, they get into, you know, frivolous sprats and the whole world get caught up in their antics. And so whether it's wrecking New York in a bid to nap some famous cosmetics or getting into a car chase in Paris or a clothing quarrel or sinking Tokyo thanks to zombie on break, it's like the advent of an otherworldly duo who are both beautiful and obnoxious. Obviously, Shirahama is the author of Witch Hat Atelier, one of the most beautiful manga on the scene right now. And her character designs are really great. This premise sounds like a lot of fun. Heard it compare to kind of like a panting stocking s type series so i'm all down for like uh you know buddy comedy with two really fun female leads especially like playing off the whole angel devil dynamic so yeah yeah this sounds like really really fun i'm really really looking forward to this i was gonna say this this is basically just sounds like good omens yeah that too also i've heard especially Especially considering, I, I think I saw somewhere that uh, Shira Shirahama did like her own Good Omens fan art, which is pretty cool. Um, I, I definitely want to read this. Yeah, another like pretty high profile series that a lot of people were excited about 
is definitely Tomoki Izumi's Miyako-chan horror comedy series about a girl who can see the supernatural, including strangers to disturbing ghosts, but nevertheless tries to go about her daily life while not trying to show what affects her. You know, really like the detail in the cover. You know, it's seemingly at first class innocuous, but you look into her eyes, you see like the ghostly reflection within it. You see, like, the creepy text, like, kind of across, faded on her body. Like, it's just very, very interesting. Like, at first glance, innocent, but second glance, very, very creepy. So, definitely very, very intrigued. And then finally, we've got a new Overlord art book, Overlord Complete Anime Art Book, which is, of course, a deep dive into the planning making of the anime adaptation of Overlord. You know, revealing all the delicately crafting settings, incredibly detailed outfits, the accessories, uh, you know, everything that breathed life into everyone's favorite cast of not so good guys. So, yeah. You know, a cool artwork that collects art from the production of the Overlord television series. And mainly, it seems to collect it from, I guess, all three seasons, which is pretty cool. Um... Yeah, I guess besides Kodansha, like, uh, I'm actually really interested in a lot of these other Yen Press titles, uh, especially King of the Labyrinth and uh, Ennial and Dwyla. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think it's definitely Ennial and Dwyla, uh, I think, because I really like Witch Hat and Shirahama's work. But the other stuff is definitely very, very interesting, too. There's some interesting premises. Um, But I think we should get on to some of the Viz Media stuff, and boy... You know, yeah. Viz Viz wasn't exactly slacking here. They 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 uh they licensed some pretty cool things. Yeah, a lot of other big stuff from some established creators or stuff that's really coming up that people are you know really looking forward to. Oh yeah. Um. So just to start off with their first batch of licenses from uh from Anime Expo. Uh. So they are going to be releasing uh Doctor Stone reboot Byakuya, which. You know, we we've mentioned on the podcast before. It's it's essentially a, uh, I guess you could call it a prequel. It's an interquel. I mean, it takes place in place of the Viakia flashback that we saw yeah. in the series. Like it just adds some expanded details onto it, including introducing the character of Ray, who basically takes over as protagonist halfway into it. So yeah, it's kind of an interesting like look into more of the details about how Byakuya and his crew managed to get back to Earth, the lives they live, and then, like, the fact the space station is still waiting for them out in space, and Ray is still waiting for them out in space. And so maybe that'll play back into the main series when they eventually go to space and find it there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I remember when this was running in the in Shonen Jump, and I, I know you weren't super hot on it at first, but I know you really, like, came around on it. Uh, which unfortunately is ki- kind of why I-, I didn't read it from the beginning because I I was under the impression it was just going to be a lot of retread, but but I I hear it really like sort of became its own interesting thing, so I'm really gonna have to like get on this at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then next up, uh, we have yet another uh work being licensed from the Naoki Urasawa Asadora. Uh, we mentioned this a few times, but uh. Uh, that'll be coming out in particular on January 2021. And yeah, uh, in general, it seems like the story is uh, set in 2020. And uh, Tokyo is on fire as a large, mysterious creature rampages through the city, destroying everything in its path. Uh, but we cut to 1959, uh, where we meet a spunky young girl named Asa. 
uh, as one of 11 siblings, uh, Asa is constantly forgotten. Poor girl. Um, most people can't even remember her name. So when she is kidnapped for ransom by a guy who mistakes her for a doctor's kid, no one bats an eye, not even when a typhoon hits. Now Asa and her kidnapper must work together to survive the brutal storm, but there's more to her kidnapper and this storm that meets the eye. And so immediately when I read this premise, I, I immediately thought, this kidnapper's a time traveler. That that's like that that that's the first thing that came to my mind. And I I haven't obviously read any of Asadora yet, but uh now now that it's coming out from Viz, uh it's definitely on my list. I really want to read this. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Always excited for more Urasawa. Next up, we have Tokyo Fashion, a comic book from Nodoka, which will be releasing in February 2021, and is essentially an illustrated guide to a Japanese style and fashion in general, and how to make yourself look good and whatnot. Uh, this seems kind of along the lines of, um, I'm forgetting the name of it, but that one like makeup tutorial manga guide that I think Kodacha released a little while ago. Mm, um yeah. I wish I could remember the name of it, but it kind of reminds me of the same sort of thing that that book was just a just 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 an illustrated guide on like certain topics and whatnot. And uh, again, it it sounds interesting. Uh, maybe I could maybe I could use some fashion tips. I don't know. Uh, but uh, for anyone who's interested in that, that is coming out again on February 2021. Uh, next up, we have Zom 100 Bucket List of the Dead, uh, written by Haro Aso and illustrated by Kotaro Takada, coming out in February 2021. Uh, surviving a zombie apocalypse uh, beats being a wage slave any day. Um, that's definitely the best tagline I've ever seen. Uh, after spending years slaving away for a soul-crushing company, Akira's life has lost its luster. He lives in a trash-filled apartment, his pay is abysmal, and he can't even muster up the nerve to confess his love to his beautiful co-worker. But when a zombie apocalypse ravages his town, it gives him the push he needs to live for himself. Now Akira's on a mission to complete all 100 items of his bucket list before he kicks the bucket. And uh, I really I really like the idea for the premise of this, uh, and how, like, how this dude's life is... Uh, I, I ironically livened up by uh, by a zombie apocalypse. I, I really like the irony in that. Yeah, I mean, this definitely sounds like a fun premise, and I like the cover and the character designs a lot, too. Now, this one I'm sure a lot of people are excited about, in- including us. Viz has licensed uh, Paru Itagaki's Beast Complex, uh, Itagaki being the creator of Beastars, uh, that'll be coming out in March 2021, and from from what I gather, this is basically a collection of um, uh, short stories. Yeah, this is basically kind of the prototype of B Stars. It's Paru Itagaki kind of exploring like the world that she would develop into B Stars in terms of different relationships between anthropomorphic animal characters. So yeah, it explores a lot of the similar teams that she would expand upon in B Stars. Hmm. The, the the fact that they picked this up tells me that B Stars is probably doing very well for them. I mean, we we've also seen it on uh, on the book scan list, so it's, it's so it's probably selling pretty well for them. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely going to be picking this up. I wish in general, and I mean, Aviz has kind of been doing this, but in general, I I wish they would do more of the kind of licenses where it's like, hey, we should pick up this author's other stuff. Yeah. Um, 
which again they, they kind of they're, they're kind of doing here and there but uh it's it's something i wish they would do more of and i'm not just saying that because i would kill for an english uh for an english release of kohei horikoshi's omakidoki zoo um <laughs> viz if you're listening uh, but next up, we have some more uh, some more stuff from Junji Ito with his latest story collection uh, entitled Love Sickness. That'll be coming out in uh, April 2021. And basically, just to kind of shorten the premise here, reading the premise, I, was immediate, I immediately thought of Tomie, though I'm not sure if this will exactly be the same thing. But it, it's essentially about this, uh, I guess, about this town where the girls in the town are all falling in love and killing themselves over this really good-looking uh, but strange young man. And uh, again, I-, I got a lot of Tomie vibes from this, but uh, I don't know. What do you think, Lum? Yeah, it sounds similar. It is worth noting that Love Sickness is only the first of ten stories that is going to be in this collection. Again, this is another story collection of different stories from Junito. So, ah, okay, okay. Interesting. Um, again, always up for more Junji Ito. His stuff is licensed to print money at this point. If you're a fan of Junji Ito, you'll probably pick this up. Uh, next up, we have another Shonen Sunday title. Yeah. Uh, it, it feels like we're getting at least like one of these a year, and uh, I'm pretty okay with that. Yeah. Um, entitled uh, Call of the Night from Kotoyama. Uh, Kotoyama being the creator of uh, Dagashi Kashi, which um, I don't think the manga for that ever got picked up as far as I can remember. No, unfortunately. Just the anime. I feel like that has to get picked up at some point, but you never know. It's been a while, I don't know. But maybe this does really well, hopefully. <laughs> maybe. Uh, but this will be coming out on April 2021, and uh, is about a character named Yamori, who knows a vampire named Nanakusa. Uh, but the question remains, is it just the delicious taste of his blood that makes her meet him night after night for late night adventures, conversations, and even naps? Uh, or is it something else? And then when a cute girl from Yamori's past shows up and complete and competes for his attention, his budding relationship with the undead is truly put to the test. So this sounds like a really interesting, like, romantic sort probably sort of dark series yeah off kilter vampire romance series yeah that sounds like a lot of fun Mm -hmm. i mean i guess from my little exposure to shonen sunday admittedly it's kind of something i'm surprised to see from shonen sunday in particular but it does sound really interesting yeah i think this is another one that is actually been getting a bit of buzz so i'm glad that this is licensed Mm-hmm. I, I definitely remember uh, seeing the key art for this when it initially like premiered in Sunday and really thinking like, yeah, I, I really like this author's character designs. They stand out to me somehow. And then I guess uh, last but not least uh, from for this part of this, uh, we have The King's Beast by Ray Toma, which will be coming out on February 2021. And uh, it's basically set in this sort of like uh, in this sort of fantasy world where basically uh, you have this woman whose twin brother is taken to the palace uh, to serve the prince. But basically uh, all, his tenure there lasts for so long because he's eventually murdered. And then uh, I guess the character's name, Rangetsu, uh, basically in- invades the palace as a man and... Uh, you know, basically tries to find out who killed her brother and just gets gets entangled in this, like, whole web of, like, 
you know, weird uh, corruption and whatnot in the palace and is possibly falling in love with the prince. Uh, Very complex plot. And uh, I don't know. I I thought it was very interesting. This is coming from Flower Comics. So I'm assuming this is going to be a part of like the shoujo beat line here. Yeah, this is from Ray Toma, creator of The Water Dragon's Bride, another show to ah, title. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, this sounds like a pretty interesting, you know, gender bend revenge story. So, yeah, uh, it's always pretty interesting. So, definitely looking forward to this. I also really enjoyed reading what I have of Water Dragon's Bride and the art of Toma. So, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to this. This is an intriguing premise and, again, very intriguing character design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot, a lot of really good stuff here from Viz. Uh, a lot of stuff that I really want to check out. But I guess it's time to talk about some of their Shonen Jump stuff. And uh, I guess the Shonen Jump stuff that they announced at Funimation Con in particular. And uh, I'm really, I'm really excited for this pickup because as soon as I found out about its existence, I immediately wanted to read this. It was very sad that there was no English release for it until now, because uh, Viz is picking up My Hero Academia Team Up Missions that is going to be uh, written and illustrated by Yoko Akiyama in particular. Uh, that is going to be coming out on March 2021. And essentially, from what I could tell, this is just kind of an excuse to to basically pair up different like heroes and characters from My Hero Academia on like, different missions and stuff. Um, I think one of the first chapters, if I remember correctly, was like a team up between uh, between Midoriya and Uraraka. That's a pretty common combo, I would think. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying it isn't. I'm just saying that uh, uh, I guess I'm, I'm excited for this because this will hopefully give us the opportunity to see characters who may not have the uh, the opportunity to shine in like the normal series, possibly. Yeah, I'm hoping some minor characters who don't really interact with each other. You know, get some chapters. Uh, I mean, in general, I'm I'm a sucker for team ups, quite honestly, and all that kind of stuff. So, and and I, I love my Hero Academia, so I'll definitely be checking this out. And um, I guess this next one here, th- this one I, I've heard some buzz about for sure, uh, with Jujutsu Kaisen Volume Zero. And Lum, I, I believe you probably know more about this than I do. Yeah, I mean, this was, you know, written before Jujutsu Kaisen, but essentially this is kind of... I mean, you I guess you could think of Jujutsu Kaisen as the sequel to this series, because okay. it set up the world of Jujutsu Kaisen and the main academy, the character of Gojo and Ghetto. Yucho Akotsu is referenced a lot in Jujutsu Kaisen, but has not as of yet been seen, but also, you know, Maki Panda, okay, they're all introduced in this too so it's basically kind of it's focused on yuta kotsu and kind of is a story about like him you know becoming uh jujutsu sorcerer but also it is exploring kind of ghetto and his some of his earlier origins and it's kind of essential to read to understand some stuff that happens in the current arc regarding the character of ghetto so it's very good that they have licensed this and are going to be releasing this so that people can you know, get that full context and read it. So I'm also very excited to, you know, also check in on it, you know, in official release capacity. Okay. Yeah, I was I was just about to ask, like, would you recommend like if you if if someone were to start Jujutsu Kaisen, would you just read this first and then go on to read the regular Jujutsu Kaisen? But 
Uh, you can read the regular Jujutsu Kaisen first, but like, so it like uh, there is a flashback that's pretty lengthy that explores like Gojo and G- Geto's like past in Jujutsu Kaisen, and so this is like kind of in between that and then where you know we pick off at the beginning of Jujutsu Kaisen. So if you were to like read that flashback and then read this. That would probably be a good idea. Like, so long as you read it before the Shibuya incident, I think that would be pretty worthwhile. Okay, okay. Because uh, also, I... Yeah, it says right here, this is basically, like, the, the, the one-shot pilot. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. So, I, I, I had heard a lot of talk about this online from other Jujutsu Kaisen fans, and how, like how like necessary this was in order to understand some parts of the story so that really uh kind of intrigued me um obviously i haven't started jujutsu kaisen yet i i want to definitely at some point here soon but uh yeah i'm i'm glad this is coming out that way you know i'll have better context for some of the story stuff in the original jujutsu kaisen so uh yep that'll be coming out on january 2021 and uh, i'm i'm assuming this will probably also be added on the shonen jump app at some point uh, so there's that, a- along with probably My Hero Academia team-up mission. And then last but not least, we have uh, another Naruto novel coming out with Naruto Shikamaru Story, Morning Clouds. Uh, that'll be coming out in February 2021. Obviously, I'm assuming this, uh, from the title, this is a, a novel about Shikamaru and his family. And, uh, uh, and as they apparently grow further and further apart bit of trouble with his family there i feel bad for shikamaru he's my he's probably my favorite naruto character so uh you know personally i haven't had a lot of interest in the naruto novels but like if i were to pick up anyone this would probably be the one honestly yeah i mean it's interesting apparently like something at the kage summit ruptures and triggers the fifth ninja war and shikamaru has to stop it that is a pretty interesting premise for a novel so yeah (laughs) shikamaru has to stop a war from happening he just traps everybody with their shadow. With their <laughs> shadow. Until they all just make up and get along. <laughs> Honestly, I, that's, that's a, I could see that being a Shikamaru movie. He just doesn't want to fight. He just stops everybody <laughs> from fighting. Like, guys, come on. This is a drag. Stop it. I, I want to I get home. Like, please. I had a whole day set up here. Um, actually, that is a very Shikamaru move. I love that. Um, but yeah, that's that's really about it for like all the Viz stuff. Uh Again, I'm weirdly enough, I'm a lot more interested in their like in their general licenses than I am their show to jump stuff this time around. Not that I don't think they're like they're they're exciting or good, but uh I'm I'm definitely more excited for stuff like uh Call of the Night or uh or uh, or Beast Story I'm already forgetting titles of stuff. Beast Complex. Beast Complex, thank you. My brain isn't working. But yeah, no, good good Vist stuff this time around. Um and yeah, I'm I'm look I'm looking forward to seeing more of like what Viz brings out here in the future. Um, but I think that's about it for Viz, and uh, we should move on to Tokyo Pop, I guess. Well, there is actually one other thing from Viz. They have announced that they are releasing a book called Ask Iwata, Words of Wisdom from Nintendo's Legendary CEO. It is a book that is going to, you know, basically profile and look at the career of, you know, president game developer, gamer Iwata Satoru, you know, who changed the video game industry. And that book's going to be released in spring 2021. 
Yeah, I, I hadn't heard about that one. That's really interesting. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people, especially like probably a lot of Nintendo fans are going to be interested in picking that one up. Most definitely. But yes, that is the last Viz license. And now we are going to go into Tokyo stuff. They announced quite a few things as well. First of which being the God and the Flightless Messenger from Creator Hockey. It is worth noting that actually all of their titles were announced for their new Love X Love Romance imprint, which is going to especially focus on uh, Yuri LGBT uh, BL titles. So that's pretty cool. But uh, God of the Flightless Messenger is about a world where there are people called messengers whose duties are to protect the gods they've been assigned to, and they require wings to complete their tasks. But one messenger, Shin, does not have the ability to fly because his wings are tiny and useless, and so that makes him kind of an outcast and a target of ridicule and bullying from other messengers, and it's also kept him from being able to serve a god until he accepts an assignment for a mysterious being on a nearby mountain, and even though it seems an easy task at first to keep his star safe and happy, especially when the deity in question is just a cute, healthy ball of fur, things aren't always what they seem, because messengers flying over the strange god run and have been disappearing, and as suspicion mounts against his deity, Shin can bring himself to think that a gentle god could have the dark side, but, you know, for some reason, the mysterious floating feels very familiar to him. They've also licensed BL fans Love My Brother by Mimu Oyamata, which is about a girl's over brother who became a shut-in and barely leaves his room now, constantly working on something, and then she finds out that he's actually been working on BL comics all this time, and he's really good at it, and he's got a, quite a fan base, and even though she doesn't understand her brother's hobbies or the fandom, you know, it's, she's still her family, so she helps him sell his comics, and she's hoping that she can convince him to step outside into the world again and greet his fans in person. Sounds like a really interesting, fun premise. I'm actually very intrigued by that one. But finally, the last title of this batch is The Cat Proposed by Hayate Dento, which is about an overworked office worker tired of his life, but on his way home from school or work one day, he watches a traditional Japanese play, and then something strange happens because he could have swore he saw one of the actors had cat ears, and it turns out the man is in fact actually a bake neko, a shy Christian cat for Japanese folklore, and the cat speaks and says, from now on, you're going to be my spouse, so... Interesting supernatural BL tale there. So, some interesting little uh, premises. Two full of mystery. One story about helping someone kind of come out from being introverted and kind of a shut-in. Like, oh, very, very interesting. Definitely BL fans love my brother. is the one that intrigues me the most. But all these sound really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And look, as much shit as we give Tokyo Pop, rightfully so, I, I will say that uh, the titles for this new imprint are at least interesting, so that's good. Yeah, titles themselves are interesting. All right, but uh, it is time to move on to some stuff from Denpa, and uh, they definitely have their own share of interesting stuff that they license as well, uh, starting with uh, Lockdown Zone Level X, which is a uh, a new sci-fi horror manga that they're going to be simul-pubbing, actually. Uh, I, I think by, by the time you're listening to this podcast, the first two free chapters should be available on, on Denpa's own uh, digital reading platform. 
And so, yeah, maybe we might have to talk about this one, maybe, because I didn't realize it was mm-hmm. a, new, a new series. Um, and so, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll definitely be looking forward to that. Um, and it looks like I was I was not expecting this. But uh, we we mentioned uh, some episodes back ago. I forget how long it's been, but um, we had mentioned in an earlier episode that uh, NHK World TV was uh, was reporting that uh, that the new uh, new manga from I Am a Hero author Hanazawa under Ninja had been licensed for a English release, but we didn't know who that was at that time. Um, but now we know it's Denpa. And it looks like uh, three volumes in, they have licensed this for a release. Um, I don't think there is a uh, there is a release date for it just yet, but uh, Denpa are the ones bringing that out. Uh, I'm definitely going to be very interested in checking this out. Uh, and then we have, a, 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 I guess, not really a new new one. This It's kind of old at this point, but like uh, it is a newer... Uh, one shot from Shuzo Oshimi entitled Miss Kusakabe, which um, I don't know too much about, but uh, it, it is a 25-page uh, sort of one shot uh, right now available for purchase digitally on Amazon. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it'll be available on their e-reader as well. Uh, all I know about this one is I I, I think I heard uh, the the crew on manga machinations talk about this one and uh, from what I remember uh, this this one shot has some t- challenging moments I shall say uh, Lum, I don't know if you listened to that episode of manga machinations in particular talking about this one shot I don't remember but that's Oshimi's bread and butter is challenging relationships that get into the uncomfortable and they disturb so I mean that's his bread and butter. So I would expect that from anything <laughs> that they write. Uh, that that's fair. Um, to to be fair, I'm 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 not as familiar with Oshimi's works just yet. Um, I I again another author that I really need to like dig into at some point. Um, but I guess you know last but not least from Denpa, it looks like uh they announced at Kurokan in particular that they have licensed uh vampires from Akili. All in all caps, uh, which is a manga that ran in Shigaku Khan's uh, Sunday GX uh, that launched back in February 2019. And it uh, looks like it's only about three volumes long so far. Uh, the manga centers on a 14-year-old girl named Ichika who meets the vampire Arya at Ichika's beloved grandmother's funeral and falls in love with her at first sight. So uh, some Yuri vampire stories here. Sounds, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are very excited for this one. Yeah, lots of nice queer uh, vampire stories have been licensed recently. I'm definitely all for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, looks like vampires in particular will be coming out next year in summer 2021. Uh, so we got a bit of a wait before then, but uh, yeah, again, I'm sure a lot of people are looking forward to that one. Uh, and now, Lum, I think it's time we get into Seven Seas. Yeah, the Seven Seas Tidal Wave crashing down on us again, drowning in it, but we will swim through, get back to the surface, gasp for air. But there's a lot to wade through first, of course. Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, out of, out of all the, like, batches of licensing news that we're still not done with, Seven Seas doesn't even feel like the biggest tidal wave, which is really saying something. Yeah, honestly, it does feel like Yet and Kadanja had a... Much bigger volume of stuff this time around. Mm-hmm. 
But uh, just to get on with the Seven Seas stuff in particular, to start off with, uh, Seven Seas has licensed A White Rose in Bloom from author Asumiko Nakamura, which will be releasing digitally on January 2021, uh, and physically, of course. Um, and just reading the premise, basically it's about a girl who who attends an elite European boarding school and uh, things are going pretty well for her until she finds out that she won't be able to go home for Christmas break. And it's very sad. Um, unfortunately, uh, she'll be stuck in school with the only other student, uh, the aloof and beautiful Steph. And basically, I'm assuming during their Christmas break, uh, they kind of hang out together as our main character, Ruby, tries to understand uh, Steph and you know tries to get to know her. Uh, she becomes more and more interested in Steph, but uh, can she break through Steph's icy exterior? So uh, probably, I'm, I'm assuming a, a Yuri romance here will probably bloom. I really like the uh, uh, the cover for this one as well. Again, very soft colors. And I really like the character designs too. Yeah, watercolor kind of rendering too. Yeah, character designs... If you're familiar with Nakamura style, like the black haired girl here, very similar in look to the uh, girl on the cover of Utsubora. So, yeah. Yes, we're definitely worth mentioning that Nak- Nakamura is also the author behind uh, Dokusei or Classmates, which I believe is a pretty well beloved like BL story that I know got an anime film at some point. And then next up, we have a title that. I'm I'm going to admit I I judged the cover of this one because uh because Mashal exists and I, yeah. I at first thought it was going to be the same thing but it's it's not entirely the same thing so uh we have uh muscles are better than magic which I'm kind of surprised isn't just the subtitle for Mashal honestly um, yeah <laughs> um Seven Seas will be publishing the first volume of this. Uh, of the light novel in particular in print on January 2021. It'll have a digital debut earlier than that. Uh, And then we'll be getting the first volume of the manga adaptation, both physically and digitally, on April 2021. And as the synopsis reads, For ten years, Yuri has lived alone in the forest, training his muscles day and night to hone his body into the ultimate fighting machine. Uh, but when the beautiful elf Philia stumbles upon his home, she begs him to help her escape the forest. Uh, there's just one problem. Uh, Yuri's never left the woods, and besides, uh, this odd couple can't seem to agree on anything. Uh, it's the beginning of a wacky journey through strange lands and stranger adventures. So, again, not exactly, not like entirely the same thing, but parts of the premise are like similar, but, uh, um, it, it looks like this has been running like like this predates Mashal. It looks like uh, since the uh, the novel in particular has been running since 2017. So there's that. But hey, you know, it, it, I guess if you want something kind of like Mashal, this may be up your alley. We'll see. And the next up, we have uh, Rosie in the Labyrinth from Shia Totsky, uh, which will be coming out uh, physically and digitally on January 2021. Uh, in a labyrinth world made of endless alleys, transformed humans fill the quaint stone streets and magical shops. Rosie is a young girl in this surreal and beautiful place, guided by kind supernatural men who strive to protect her from the dangers that lurk in her dazzling surroundings. An adventure full of wonder and intrigue is about to begin. And so, uh, just looking at the cover here, uh, the girl who I'm assuming is Rosie is just sickeningly cute. 
quite honestly. And then just to continue here with Seven Seas, uh, they'll also be publishing the first volume of Failure Frame. I became the strongest and annihilated everything with low-level spells from Kaoru Shinozaki and KWKM or Quickum. It's kind of how I'm going to pronounce that from now on. Uh, the first volume of the light novel will be coming out in print on March 2021 with an early digital debut. And then the first volume of the manga adaptation will be coming out in April 2021. Uh, Toka Mimori and his classmates are abruptly catapulted into a fantasy world summoned by the resident goddess to serve as heroes. The good news? Most of the students display amazing skills upon arrival. The bad news uh, is that Mimori is the worst of the lot bottoming out at a measly E rank. Uh, incensed, uh, the goddess tosses him into a dungeon to die, uh, but it turns out that Memori's skills aren't so much worthless as they are abnormal. Abnormally powerful, perhaps. So, again, uh, the lesson here is don't judge a book by its cover. Yeah, it seems so. Um, so this, this sounds like a pretty, uh, pretty fun little series, but check it out. Um, next up, we have Donuts Under a Crescent Moon from Shio Usui, uh, which will be coming out physically and digitally on February 2021, starring our main character, Uno Hinako, who throws herself into makeup, fashion, and falling in love, hoping that will make her seem normal, quote-unquote, uh, to the other people at her job. Uh, but no matter how hard she tries, she's a self-doubting mess on the inside, and her attempts at normal... Uh, romance with men just keep failing. Uh, when she starts to think she might be alone forever, a new normal presents itself in the form of her relationship with Sato Asahi, a level-headed woman who works at her company, which starts as respect until it becomes more intimate. So this definitely sounds like a pretty, like, personal Yuri story. Like, I, I, I already really like the idea of this premise, like, that idea of, like, you know, of, of being at an office and, like, feeling pressured to, like, you know, fall in love, and you just, you just don't feel, you just constantly feel like you're striking out, and like you feel like you're trying to fall in love because like you have to, and kind of exploring, I guess, uh, her uh, possible other avenues for relationships. Like, uh, I, I really like this idea so far. I definitely would be interested in reading this. Definitely, like it sounds like a really great premise. Very, very intrigued by it. Next up, we have Dungeon Toilet from Roots. Uh, which will be coming out physically and digitally on April 2021. I really like the premise for this one. Uh, people are often reincarnated into fantasy worlds to answer a higher calling. In this case, that means a quest to find the perfect toilet. Uh, behold, as dragon scales are converted into toilet seats and slimes are used as moist wipes. Oh God! In in the unique in this unique adventure about heroes who truly give a crap. This is so obviously a parody of Delicious in Dungeon. <laughs> like, no, look at just the cover. The way the cover is laid out is exactly like the cover of the first one of Delicious in Dungeon. It does and look even similar, with the red yeah. borders. Like this is the same kind of format. The idea of taking stuff from dungeons and repurposing them for like something utilitarian, very similar to Delicious in Dungeon. I think this is a fun spin on it, definitely. But it is so weird and like so obvious to me that this is a direct parody of that series. Yeah, I'm I'm still kind of stuck on the idea of using slimes as moist wipes. Wouldn't that just leave you a bigger mess than you already were? That that like I that that actually kind of disgusts me a little bit. I don't 
I, I, can, I mean, I, I guess like, we'll have to read it to see how it works. I'm like imagining it, and I don't, I don't like the way it like feels imagine imaginarily. That's not a word. I don't like, I don't like it. Um, I mean, I don't like that idea, but I, I, I do. I, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. Like the first time I saw this cover, I was like, yeah, this is, this, this really does remind me of Delicious in Dungeon, and um. But still, like this, this looks like it could be pretty fun. Like I would, I would at least check out the first volume of this. You know, this next one from Seven Seas was one that I, I think I'm probably the most excited about. Quite honestly, um, considering it is from Q Hayashida, who, in case you may not know, is the author of a beloved cult classic Doro Hidoro. Um, we talked about this on the show uh, early on, I think last year at this point. Uh, about how she has come out with a new series called Die Dark, and uh, Seven Seas has licensed it. And just to kind of talk about the premise here a little bit, we have Zaha Sanko, uh, whose body has great and terrible powers. They say that possessing his bones will grant you any wish, even the desire to become the ruler of the universe. But Sanko is still a teenage dude with his own life, and he isn't about to let every monstrous lowlife in the galaxy rip him limb to limb. He and his skeletal buddy, uh, Avakian, uh, will use their dark powers to fend off any murder attempts while they search for space for whoever put this curse on Sanko's bones, because killing them might end the madness, and then Sanko can celebrate with his favorite spaghetti. So already, like just reading from that premise alone, like th- this will. I mean, look, uh, not to give too much away, but I just recently finished, uh, you know, reading all of Dora Hedoro, uh, which we'll definitely be talking about on a later podcast, hopefully within the next month or two. And honestly, just reading that premise, I would not be surprised if Die Dark's premise and like plot were like just as, uh, I guess, just as complex. Yeah, I would expect that from uh, Hayashida. It already sounds like there's so much going on. I really hope, uh, this is just a little thing. I really hope we get like a Kaiman cameo in Die Dark. That'd be kind of, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, that'd be fun. Uh, but in general, yeah, I, I remember when, when we talked about this first, uh, starting serialization and how, like, even, even not reading Doro Hidoro at the time, I really liked the idea of somebody like Kyu Hayashida, like, uh, doing like a dark space story like this just sounds really good and i can't wait to read it mm-hmm. uh, i mean also pretty big considering this probably means that viz probably passed up on this title most likely which is a shame i mean i mean i say that but like we're still getting it so like yeah it works out for us we're still getting it and that's all that matters. Um, alright, so just a few more licenses from Seven Seas. We're almost done here. Um, so next up, we have, uh, Berserk of Gluttony, in which, uh, the manga will be coming out physically and digitally on February 2021. And the first volume of the light novel series will be coming out in print on January 2021 with an, uh, of course, an early digital debut. Fate Graphite has never tasted real power. Born with the magical skill Gluttony, he constantly hungers in a way that can't be satiated and has been shunned and looked down upon by his uh, his entire life. Uh, one day, while working as a gatekeeper for a noble family and fighting a trespassing thief, he discovers Gluttony's true power. When he kills someone, he devours their skills and feeds his gnawing hunger at last. Uh, in that grisly real- realization, 
Fate is awakened to his true potential. How many lives will he feed on to satisfy his hunger? And is the world ready for the frightening warrior he'll become? So this this is kind of like a dark isekai version of uh, Katamari Damacy, almost. Maybe, I don't know. That's the first thing that came to mind, just as just as this being who's like constantly feeding on different things and people and gaining their abilities and stuff. I like the cover for this one, too. I especially like uh, who I'm assuming is probably our main character, the guy in all black with the sword and the mask. Uh, the, the, the edgy teenager in me really likes that design. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it, it, it sounds like it could be a pretty fun, dark time, I guess. But, uh, we have the, the manga adaptation of, uh, oh no, I'm sorry. We have the light novel. Well, we have both, actually. They license both the manga and light novel adaptations of Masaki Uwaza's Ride Your Way film. And they are going to release the light novel next year from uh, Miketo Yoida in February 2021. And the manga from uh, Reiko Yoshida is coming next May, May 2021. So yeah, I mean, Ride Your Wave is a story about dealing with grief about a girl who loses her boyfriend and then just has to kind of cope with, you know, seeing him in the water and whenever their favorite song plays. It's a very tough film about, like, kind of moving on, accepting grief, and then, you know, just accepting debt as well in your life. So, very hard-hitting, emotional film. I have seen that the translator for the light novel, Molly Lee, actually recently tweeted that they are as they are translating it. They are crying. Like oh. it's, it's very emotional, very emotional. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to both versions that are being put out. Uh, Molly Lee translating it is also translator. Six Sound, really great translator. Manga translator is Jenny McKeon, Blue Into You, and Blank Canvas. So many other great series. So yeah, I'm really really looking forward to reading the other versions of Rider Wave. It's a really really beautiful film and story. I just need to see the film in general. I haven't seen it yet, but uh, uh, ho- ho- hopefully, I'm hoping for maybe like a Netflix release or something. Or it's it's probably it's probably already available elsewhere. I'm sure. I just need to seek it out. But uh, yeah, you know, if you're if you're a fan of the film, you know, and you want to check out these versions as well, uh, they'll be coming out next year. And then uh, we have this next one, uh, Reiwa Hanamaru Gakuen. Uh, I'm assuming they don't have a localized title for this one just yet, but I'm sure they will at some point. Probably. We'll see. Hanamaru Gakuen coming from uh, Kotobuki. This will be coming out uh, physically and digitally on April 2021. And uh, basically, this looks like to be a high school comedy in which the hunks at Hanamaru Academy are putting the boot and booty to expectations. Uh, Instead of wearing drab blazers, uh, these studs are obsessed with the length of their skirts and the size of their chests as they try to navigate high school. Uh, The high-energy comedy takes being cute and being cut to a whole new level. Yeah, this looks really, really cute. I like the premise of this. It's basically taking masculine characters and putting them into feminine situations, having them dressed in skirts and like kind of play with gender in that way. So I'm really intrigued by the series in that respect. So really, really looking forward to it. It has really cute art. And yeah, pretty excited for this one. Mm -hmm. I would definitely check this one out. 
And then last but not least, we have uh, The Demon Girl Next Door from Izumi Ito, in which uh, this manga will be coming out physically and digitally on January 2021. I remember, I, I think I saw Seven Seas mention that like this is like this was like one of their most requested licenses. Uh, so that's pretty huge. Um, but just to kind of go over the premise real quick, Yoshida Yuko was living a perfectly normal, if poverty-stricken life, but at the age of 15, she suddenly sprouts demon horns and a tail. Uh, her mother explains that she's actually a demon named Shadow Mistress Yuko, once sealed away and cursed so that her family would remain poor for generations. Now Yuko can break that very curse if she defeats uh, Chiyoda Momo, a magical girl who goes to her school. But Momo is stronger than she is, knows how to manage her magical powers, and is so freaking nice that she's actually helping Yuko out of scrapes. Yuko's too weak and uncoordinated to straight up kill Momo, even if she wanted to. Uh, but she can't just be buddies with this generous magical girl either. Uh, she has to break the curse on her family somehow. What's a demon girl to do? And so this uh, sounds like a nice little series about an unlike a possibly unlikely friendship. Um, it sounds like it could be really cute. I don't know. I think so, too. I mean, I really like the cover art of it a lot. I like the character designs, the color palette. So, yeah, I'm definitely curious to check it out. Uh, all in all, you know, a lot of interesting stuff from Seven Seas this time around. Um, I think, honestly, I am probably, in, like, honestly, Die Dark's the one I'm, like, definitely going to buy, quite honestly. Uh, for, for me, that is my most anticipated Seven Seas license right now. Um, but all, all the other ones I don't think are bad either. I'm, I'm definitely really interested in like, um, in what, uh, Hanamaru Gakuen is probably going to be like. Yeah, I mean, a lot of cool licenses. I'm also with you with Die Dark probably being my number one. But yeah, all the other ones like Ride Your Wave, Anamaru Gakuen, and even Dungeon Toilet and Demon Girl I'm really, really interested in. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's about it for all the 7C stuff. Um, but we, we still have a few more licensing things to talk about, Lum, if you want to take those away. Yeah, we have some stuff from, of course, novel publishers, some more light novels. Let's start off with one from Cross Infinite World. They have announced that they have licensed Sorohoshi and Yuki Kinami's past life counters, present life Otome game, NPC, question mark, exclamation mark, light novel. It's a standalone light novel that is going to be currently available, you know, worldwide you know, for pre-order, but it's going to be available digitally, going to be released on September 11. It's going to focus on, you know, the protagonist's point of view, like this is how the synopsis reads. It's basically about a person who was reincarnated into an Otome game from a fantasy world. They wanted to be free from their responsibilities as a countess and got their wish when they were reborn as a commoner in Japan. Everything was going perfect except... You know, in this world of the Otomegeni, there's some crazy girl who goes around calling herself the heroine who is upset at her for stealing all her events and love interests. So now she wants her to team up with her against the villainess, and she's just supposed to be a random NPC, so why is she being dragged into this? So she's very exasperated. She just wants to be a normal girl, but now she's being roped into, like, the main plot of the story by the protagonist. It's, it's kind of like villainous in the sense that the main character steals the love interest from like who's supposed to be the protagonist and then the harem forms around her instead. Mm, yeah, it definitely definitely sounds very similar. But J Novel Club has also announced some titles, like a couple of titles and some pretty big ones. I think we'll say the biggest one for last. 
But to start off with, they have uh, announced The Bloodline by Takatero Sunomori with illustrations by Hakus, which is set in a world that is after the fall of civilization, where a hierarchical society was born, where blood determines everything. Rich steal blood and lifespans from the poor and rejoice in eternal lives. And the protagonist, Nagi, is a counterfeiter to die, while Thaya is a royale gifted with eternal youth. And when fate brings their paths together, their innocent love is going to set gears in motion to tear down the walls of society built upon tremendous inequality and racial discrimination. So yeah, I like uh, this is a story that is all about exploring class and privilege and dismantling that system. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Also pretty cool is the series Love, Yuri, and I Got Swapped with a Fujoshi, which is a manga by Ajichi, which is about a Yuri otaku that loves Yuri more than anything else in the world, who crosses paths with a Fujoshi who loves boys' love, and after a few hijinks and a vengeful ghost residing to a school manga club, you know, they get their body swapped, and so now these polar opposites in both personalities and hobbies clash in a really funny first volume, and so it's a gender swap body swap series uh where hey yuri lover and a fujoshi lover fujoshi they you know switch and so now they have to navigate those worlds that they don't like as much so uh yeah you know comedy of errors kind of stuff there then they've got my instant dead ability is overpowered no one in this other world stands a chance against me Written by Suyoshi Fujitaka, illustrations by Chisato Naruze. It is about a world that awakens to absolute chaos and carnage while on a school trip. And there, the protagonist, Yugiri Takoto, discovers that everyone in his class has been transported into another world. And even though they somehow managed to sleep through the entire ordeal and missed out on the gift which were powers bestowed upon everyone else by a mysterious stage who appeared to transport them. And even worse than that, he and another classmate were ruthlessly abandoned by their friends and left his way to distract a nearby dragon. So although he's not personally bothered by the thought of dying, he like reluctantly decides to protect his lone companion because, I mean, you know, a lowly level one towers the monster doesn't stand a chance against a secret power that he has, apparently, to invoke debt at a single thought. So he's got a... overpowered ability his problem is that he's just very sleepy so can he stay awake enough long enough to even bother using it i guess we will see then we've got wataru the hot blooded fighting team his epic adventures in a fantasy world after stopping a truck with his bare hands and this is about the eponymous wataru ito who is a master martial artist high schooler humble all-around awesome guy he gets hit by truck Chokun claims that a victim and he's Izakaid <laughs> and well, you know, you'd think you'd be Izakaid, but yeah. So anyway, he's not taking this line down, so he sets out to find the toughest hombre in the new world he reawakens into and go up against the greatest challenges the world has to offer, and the greatest fighter in the place happens to be the demon lord who's kidnapping people across the kingdom in an attempt to wipe out humanity, so that's great for Rotario because his interest is mainly in having a tough battle. So saving the world in the process is just icing on the cake then. So this is kind of like a kimono michi in terms of like a guy gets transported into another world, but he kind of, it's just just focused on like his single-minded goal that he kind of, you know, dismisses all of the problems. Like, and he's just kind of gung-ho and positive about everything. That's kind of fun. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. 
And then we've got a manga called Record of Wartenia War by Yukari Yagi, who does the scripting and, well, no, the scripting and layouts are done by Fumi Arawi. And the original novel of this was by Ryota Hori, but the original character design is by Bob. And so it's about an ordinary high school named Ryoma Mikoshiba, who's adept at martial arts, but is also one day transported to another world. He's his guide, and the people who summoned him, the old Tormia Empire, cite the fact that when those summoning kills another living being, they gain a fraction of their strength and make it their own as their reason to summon him. But upon using, uh, I mean, upon learning, the Emperor is going to use those who summon to strengthen themselves by foul means. The Ryoma is consumed by hatred and slays an important member of the court. And so he tries to escape the borders while keeping his identity a secret. And he is accosted by two twin sisters, one golden hair, the other silver haired, in a meeting that sets the gears of fate in motion. So the curtain rises on a record of the wars of a young supreme ruler in this utter world fantasy. Uh, also kind of like a fairly straightforward, as you guys have set up there. Uh, but next we got a Yuri title called The Lily Blooms in Outer World. This is specifically a J-Heart Title and this is by Ameko Karuda with illustrations by Shio Sakura and it is about a girl Miyako Florence who isn't sad when her fiance breaks off their engagement after two years because it's all according to her plan. She's whisked off to the world of her favorite Tobin game and she frees herself from a dull noble to pursue her true soulmate, the game's villainous Fuka Hamilton. And Fuka only has eyes for their mutual ex-fiance. Miyako confesses her love to Fuka and proposes they run away together. And Fuka agrees on one condition. Miyako must make her say I'm happy in 14 days. With conniving nobles, strange diseases, and magical rituals pulling them apart, can Miyako win the villainous heart? A tentative bud blossoms of this twisting romance from the author of Sexile. So yeah, cool to see another work from the author of Sexile, the Yuri story where the protagonist wants to romance the villainous. That's a ton of fun. Definitely looking forward to reading that. And then uh, we've got Mapping, the trash tier skill that got me into a top tier party. This comes from Udon Kimono with illustrations from Hitomi Shizuki. It's about a character, Note Eitlon, who is really looking forward to becoming an adventurer with his best friend and crush Mia. But then he drew Mapping, a rare skill that has practically no purpose, and so he's it's trash. And this kicks off a wish's pile for Note, who plumbs further and further into the depths of self-loading despair when Mia leaves him. He now spends his day drinking away his earnings, wondering how things might have been different if he only pulled a better skill, but little as you know, he's trashing his skill is about the Score an invite into a top tier adventuring party. Now he's determined to make his way through life on a dungeon in order to make something himself. This kind of set up in terms of like kind of the initial mean spiritedness really sounds like shield hero. And maybe it'll be more positive than that as it develops. Uh, but uh, it gives me some skeptical vibes here. But related is also the manga. They've also gotten the manga that is being drawn by Savan. So they got both the light novel and the novel of this. Next, they've got another J-Heart title called Sorcerer's Receptionist, which is by Maka, with illustrations by Mara. It is set in a world of everyday magic where the main character, Natalie, always dreamed of becoming a receptionist, the prestigious Sorcerer's Guild. So to achieve her goal, she needs to attend a, a magic school full of princes and daughters and nobles. But... Determined to prove that a commoner, of course, can be the number one student, she must team up with Rockman or compete with Rockman, the son of a duke and not, you know, the uh, Capcom character who 
is a robot that uh, fires blasts, but no. So it's a son of a duke. So she graduates. Uh, she lands her dream job. They go their separate ways. And Emily enjoys spending each day alongside her familiar Lala, who I assume is like this wolf uh, on the cover. And then, yeah, her kind co-workers. But it seems fate won't let her escape her entanglement with Rockman that easily. So uh, some rivalry slash romance between them there. And then there's Black Summoner by Dofu Mayoi, with illustrations by Kurogin, about a guy waking up in a strange new place with no memory of his past, learning that he's bartered away the memories in exchange for powerful new abilities. And so he heads out into the new world as a summoner, with his first follower being the very goddess who brought him over. And so he begins his life as an adventurer, and it's a long before he discovers his hidden disposition as a battle junkie. And so, yeah, he goes and fights people like the Black Knight of the ancient castle of evil spirits to the demon within the hidden cave of the sage. And he revels in one fight after another. And so he's an, a story about an overpowered adventurer, an exhilarating epic saga, as he and his allies carve their ways into annals of history through battle after battle. They kind of like a battle shonen focus style of a isekai story there. Then we've got Black Summoner, the manga version by again uh, Amano. So if you want to read the manga version of it, uh, that, you can as well. And then lastly, we've got Home to Kyoto, another J novel heart title by Mai Mochizuki about a girl, Ai Mashiro, who brings her late grandfather's old girls to Kura, an antique store nestled in Kyoto's Senamachi Sanjo shopping arcade for appraisal. One thing leads to another, she winds up working there part-time, and the manager's son, Kiyotaka Yakeshira, nicknamed the Homejikyoku, is incredibly perceptive, and together they solve strange issues relating to the antiques brought in by clients. And I believe the manga of this is on Crunchyroll manga, I think then, so, yeah. Yeah, so they have got the night novel version of that if you want to check that out too. But yeah, so that's a lot, a lot of titles, but <laughs> I saved the biggest one for last is, of course, the classic 90s fantasy light novel series that inspired a great anime adaptation, also very beloved. We are talking about Hajime Kazaka's classic Slayers light novel series, illustrated, of course, by Rui Arezumi, about Lena Inverse, the greatest sorcerer, going on adventures with her best pal, Gowry, and all their mutual friends, like Zelgadis and Amelia, going fighting all sorts of, you know, demons and dark lords and bad guys in, like, really wacky, crazy fantasy world. And the first volume of it is already available in four parts on J Noble's website with like the first like combined omnibus volume that's also, you know, supposed to come out pretty soon if it's not out already by the time you're listening to this. The most exciting thing, of course, is that J Noble Club has indeed confirmed that the series is going to be available in digital and in print and also the entire series is going to be made available. That's right. For the first time, the entire Slayer's Light Novel series all 15 volumes are going to be available. Previously, Tokyo Pop only did the first eight, which covered through content that was adapted into, you know, Slayers and Slayers Next, the first two anime seasons. But now we're going to get the entire light novel story. We're going to get stuff that was never adapted into anime. And that is so really exciting. I'm so looking forward to it. V-Lord, would you also like to share your excitement over Slayers? It's a dream come true. Light novels are saved. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, it's dope. Like, we, you don't have to read the really not great Tokyo Pop release anymore. Yeah. 
if you can even buy it, because some of those volumes are like, crazy expensive. Yeah, <laughs> we we got all of it, right? Yeah, we did, because we're good fans. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what are you most excited for about it? Um, I'm excited for them to translate uh, part two of the series and hopefully part three, because part mm. three started like... I think last year, like the year before. Yes. I believe, though, they've only licensed the first 15 volumes. So volume 16 and beyond, uh, I don't know if they are going to get yet. I mean, they haven't gotten them just yet, right? Yeah, I mean, like, in, like, the interview that Sam did with uh, the organization I made, those social geniuses, like, it sounded like they're just going to be translating it, like, all of it, including the new ones. But hmm. it's hard to say. That's what they're doing for, like, Banner of the Stars. Like, okay. Well, that's definitely exciting if they are going to indeed do all, all of it. Yeah. Plus, that hardcover release is going to be so good. Yeah, for sure. But, yeah, I mean, Slayer is super exciting. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of Slayers. Super excited that the light novels have been relicensed. And looking forward to reading them and reading even more of the story than I could previously. Yeah, Slayers is another thing I feel like I should really get into. Yeah, I'm just hoping that Amazon does not delist Slayers on their service. Because oh, no. now we're going to get into something related to licensing, but actually also related to industry. This is something that's happened recently, is that Amazon has delisted a few titles from J-Novel Club and Yen Press and Dark Horse for seemingly no stated reason. I mean, they... Did not give warning in advance before delisting these titles. So, you know, J Novel Club lost on Amazon How Not to Summon a Demon World, Clockwork Planet, and Greatest Magic Master's Retirement Plan, and the novel and manga of I Shall Survive Using Potions. You can't buy those on Amazon Kindle anymore. I mean, you can you can buy the Japanese editions on Amazon's Japanese website, but... They've also canceled all pre-orders for the sixth volume of Greatest Magic Master's Retirement Plan. So they were only available... I mean, they were only made aware that Amazon delisted this stuff from fans messaging them. And Amazon said that, uh, you know, the books were delisted by Kindle Content Review, but they did not provide a reason for the removal. And so those who did buy the books already digitally should still be able to read and download them from their Amazon account, at least. But in addition to this, the No Game, No Life Life novels from Yen are also not listed on Amazon. And Dark Horse's releases of Oremo and Eremong Sansei are no longer on Amazon. And we still don't know the reason, what is going on. I mean, there's even more titles, I think, that have been delisted. Like Ari Foretta, Mixed Baiting in Another Dimension, Infinite Stratos. Grimgar, Fantasy Nash, Lazy, Dungeon Master, Greatest Magic Master... I mean, I mentioned that one. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of titles that have been delisted for no reason, very abruptly by Amazon. I mean, they're going to probably look into it, see what's going on there. I'm sure they're you know still able to be bought through other means, hopefully. But yeah, this is very strange that Amazon has just suddenly delisted a lot of different titles just out of the blue. Yeah. I mean, it's not enough that you rake in billions while exploiting the labor of the poor. You have to deny us of our anime and manga content. We're shame. I mean, we're going to also talk about other uh, 
we're going to talk about some real stuff of, that's affecting people about how people are being treated in the comic century very soon. But before we get into that, uh, we want to definitely touch upon Comics Beat's 17th annual industry analysis of the NPD book scan list compiled by Brian Hibbs. You know, they look at the book scan data for the sales of the top 750 comics as sold through bookstores. And that is what we are gauging here. We are gauging the sales of the top 750 comics sold through the bookstore market. And this basically is not like the complete sales data of like everything the publishers have sold. Like this is just based on the top 750 books, what they have sold. But that data does comprise an estimated 50% of the overall sales that these publishers made last year. And it is a good measure of how publishers are doing, where the market is at, what is being successful. It's worth noting that this is different from the direct market, which is comic book shops, that market that is, you know, distributed primarily through Diamond. Because if you look through that data, that's very different because, you know, quite frankly, the direct market Diamond does not stock the books that actually sell incredibly well in their venues. So like the actual top selling books are not like the top selling books through that market. But, like, the bookstore market is, like, an even bigger market. And so, like, the sales figures are, like, really telling. In general, according to this report, there were 15,537,520 sales of books in the top 750 last year, which overall shows a 32.17% growth from the previous year for a cumulative sales figure total of $226,370,556 of sales, which also shows a 36.46 growth from the previous year in terms of sales. So this is by far the best year of sales Comicspeak has ever tracked in their 17 year history of looking at the book scan list. And so, it, I mean, if you look at these numbers, this is like double the sales fixture, figures of where the market was at in 2014. In just five years, there is double the amount of books in the market, double the amount of sales. So that is pretty incredible. It's pretty telling of the growth of the comics industry because the publishing industry in general like if you look at the overall MPD book scan for all publishing, that is down like about 1.3%. Like publishing as a whole is going down. And yet we are seeing like this trend and what Brian Hibbs knows as a six year trend of comics material being significantly stronger than the general curve of the publishing market. And this year we would definitely say that it's wildly stronger, wildly more healthy. So, I mean, comics are doing really, really well, but now this is also, of course, assuming every book was bought for cover price, and that's also something to keep in mind when we go over some of these numbers, because not all these books were, for sure. Not every book sold was sold for cover price, but it's still pretty remarkable to see these numbers. They're still pretty, you know, telling of, like, the scale of sales here. So, like, in 2019, so the number of books in the market overall was up 6%. From 38,424 in 2019 to 40,745 in 2020, well, unit sales correspondingly, were up 24% from 19,965,469 to 24,694,686. So uh, the retail value was up with an average of sales of uh, 606 copies per title and 908,000 revenue per title. So 
it's worth knowing that hits drive the business because like from these numbers, if we're seeing that, you know, the average book has only sold 606 copies and they are only making like $9,800 per book they're selling, like the, you know, no artist can make a living off of just selling 600 copies and making just $10,000. Like you can't just, that's not enough to love off on. Uh, but that is still pretty, you know, interesting to see, like, where that average lies, where the numbers are at there. But, I mean, speaking of hits, let's get this out of the way. I mean, we're going to talk about and focus on the manga side of things, because that's what our specialty is. But it is worth noting that the dominant book on the market, the dominant comic on the market is Dogman. The number one highest selling comic last year was Dogman from Who the Ball Rolls. That sold over one million copies. So I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about my hero academia, the number one selling manga in a second. That comes in in top twenty of the best selling comics from last year. But My Hero Academia, Volume One, as the highest selling manga, only sold ninety eight thousand seven hundred twenty copies. So think about that difference there. That's a 10, 11 times difference in volume <laughs> of how much more Dog Man sold. Actually, even more. No, no, I'm right. But yeah, geez, that is insane. And overall, the Dog Man series sold 4 million copies last year. Dave Bilkey is making bank. Dave Bilkey oh, yeah. and Rain and Telgemeier are like the dominant creators on the market in terms of how many books they are selling every year. And they dominate the top 20 comics sold last year. And in general, Scholastic and their graphics imprint, of which Dave Pilkey and Raina Telkemeyer belong to, they dominate the market of the comics market overall. They have the most market share. But I mean, my hero coming in at number 20 from Viz, I mean, is also pretty significant because Wiz is the second most grossing publisher on the market. If you want to talk about the real big two here <laughs> of comics publishers, it ain't Marvel and DC. It is Scholastic and Viz. Marvel and DC combined don't have the market share that Viz has. That That is pretty amazing, quite honestly. Because Viz has 15% and Marvel and DC have 8 and 7% respectively. So yeah, I mean, pretty outstanding. But yeah, so man, I mean, if you really want to study comics, look into comics, definitely you should probably be reading Dave Pilkey's Rain and Telgemeier stuff because like Koyo Rikoshi is the third highest selling author behind them. Wow. But again, Dave Pilkey sold 4,198,699 books last year. Rain and Telgemeier sold about a fourth of that at 1,299,528 books last year. And then a little over half of what Rain and Telgemeier sold was Koi Arakoshi, of course, who sold 702,482 books last year, which is still, again, amazing. That is, again, the third highest selling comics creator in North America for books in the top 750. That is insane. That is incredible. But actually, also incredible is that Horikoshi is not the only comic uh, manga author who ranks among creators that sold more than 100,000 copies last year. Some other very notable mangaka who sold really, really well. The second highest selling mangaka for last year in the North American uh, bookstore market was one author of One Punch Man. Wow. 207,629 copies. Following behind him, number three, Suyushida Tokyo Ghoul Fame, 201,405 copies. Following behind him, 
Number four, Junji Ito, 152,631 copies. Behind him, number five, Ahiriko Araki, 145,795 copies. After that, we got Akira Toriyama, 132,688 copies. Then we've got Kaiyu Shirai, Promise Neverland writer. I mean, really, post-getting means you should also be right up there. But since they, they make the series together. But yeah, 124,000 copies of three. Yeah. And then Koyohara Kotoge after that. 115,000 copies. 983. And then uh, Akira Himakawa. Kind of rounding off our list here of creators who sold more than 100,000 copies. 112... 474 copies. So, yeah. I mean, a lot of authors, mostly authors, all authors affiliated with this, uh, sold really, really well. But, of course, Horikoshi dominating the manga creators and dominating a lot of the other comics creators on the market. But, yeah, I mean, in general, I mean, those mangaka mentioned, as well as the other people who collectively sold more than 100,000 copies... Those 27 people, they represent 68% of the sales in the top 750. So all 27 like authors who sold more than 100,000 copies last year, they sold two-thirds of the sales last year. Yeesh. So like, it's really, the, the analysis here is that a tiny number of creators drive the majority of the business in the comics market. And that's true of the book market, literature market in general. But yeah, so the numerical majority of comics aren't actually significantly profitable in it given year because of that like if you think about how many comics there actually are in the market and the fact that only a small percentage of creators are like driving most of the business that is quite true and that's kind of interesting to think about when we think about like manga and how many titles are being licensed and released especially as we get into manga sales and like publisher breakdowns there so as we go into the manga category so about 34% of uh, the top 75 is represented by manga. And that also represents about 39% of the calculated sales. And so there were 332 titles that were placed in 2019. Unit sales were about 3,539,31. And the retail value was about 49,904.29. So if you look compared to the previous year, that's quite a bit of growth. That's like $14 million more growth uh, from about 1 million more unit sales. So with only a couple more titles being released or placing last year in the top 750. So that is actually quite significant, quite interesting. And yeah, this is like the fifth best year for manga overall. Like the best year of manga that Comics Read has tracked since 2008, since basically the year before the crash happened, which is pretty incredible. So we're seeing like a real rebound of the manga market, like kind of getting back up into the volumes it used to have. So, yeah, I mean, this is pretty interesting because it's from a relatively low number of placing books. And yeah, it's like driven by a lot of series that have a strong backlist that sells forever year in, year out. And so, yeah, it's, it's really interesting to see what is doing well. But obviously, My Hero Academia is like the category leader so like of the top 10 selling manga volumes last year in 2019 nine of them were my hero academia volumes 
So the first one sold 999,000 copies. And then the second one sold 69,000 copies. Third one sold 53,000 copies. Fourth, uh, well, actually, no. Third volume sold 53,000 copies. 17th volume sold 50,000 copies. 18th volume sold 42,000 copies. Six, uh, the fourth volume sold 40,000 copies. 19th volume, 39,000 copies. 16th volume, 37,000 copies. And the 20th volume sold 36,000 copies. So, yeah, every volume of the series, though, charted in the top 750. And this is interesting because MMT Volume 1 sold just over 61,000 copies in 2018. So we're seeing like a 30,000 volume increase in 2019, which is pretty astounding. That is a like 1.3% increase. That is pretty incredible. But I mean, we mentioned Uzumaki earlier in the show and Uzumaki comes in into this and the top 10 as like number 10 with just under 36,000 copies sold. So this is an example of a steadily selling core backlist title, like a title that, you know, is consistently just doing well, even though it's not relevant to like a ongoing franchise or like new trend or whatever. So, you know, of the 299 different books in the list, like in terms of the actual diversity of that, that's the only about 79 distinct series that were represented. So that's also worth keeping in mind that we're talking about like only a couple series that drive most of the sales. And so overall, while there were like the number of listed items decreased by about 8% from 10,839, 2018 to 9,928, uh, the actual percent change of units sold was up 22.31%. Calculated retail value was up 26.49%. Average sales per title were up by quite a few number of copies, like nearly 200 more copies with about 3,000 more for per an average title. And so now let's get into the market share. And so we talk about Wiz dominating the market and they dominate the market because they have 58% of the market for manga publishers. Like Viz has nearly two thirds of the market. And so the second biggest publisher after them is Kodansha with 13% of the market. Yen is third with 12% of the market. Seven Seas, fourth with 9% of the market. Dark Horse, fifth with 5%. We've got Vertical coming in at 2%. Sublime is at 1%, but really that should just be like factored in with Viz because they're the same company. And then all other publishers like make up less than 1% of the market. So that includes Dempa probably. So yeah, I mean, that really shows the scale of how well Viz is doing. I mean, they have 235 of the 332 manga spots that are in the top 750. They charted 2.8 million pieces for calculated retail value of $36.2 million. Like, this is a 47% growth for Viz for the previous year. So they control the charts. Their best seller is, of course, MHA. Nothing from the uh, main series sells under 20K. And MHA Smash and Vigilantes, they all sell just under 20k. And MHA are 16 of their top 20 titles. All in total, the series sold 862 books combined previous year, which is up quite a bit from half a million in 2018. And 134,000 combined in 2017. Like, just think about that. Insane growth. That's like eight times growth from 2017 over the past couple of years. Oof. That's like just insane amount of growth. 
And then, yeah, I mean, talked about Uzumaki before. Uzumaki is, like, the only successful author uh, Liz has that, like, does well with, like, single unconnected books instead of series. And even despite that, Uzumaki doubled its sales from 2018. So, Nijo is, like, at number 14 for Viz, number 16 for all manga with his smashed book that also sold 28,000 copies. And six under Ito books also placed in the top 750, including Shiver at 18,000 copies, Tomie at 16,000 copies, and Kyo at just below 19,000 copies, Frankenstein at 11k copies, and other titles of his place but sell under 10k. And then, of course, Tokyo Ghoul is a strong seller, of course. Volume 1 was about 15 plays for Viz, 17 for all manga. That sold 27,000 copies, which is only about a 1k drop from 2018, 9k drop from 2017. And JoJo sells about 23k for Volume 1 of that series. And then other notable series Viz has that sell over 20k are One Punch Man Volume 1, which sold 22k. Volume 1 of Komi Can't Communicate, which is really significant that's a series that doesn't even have an anime, that sold uh, 22k. Pokemon, I wish they specified which Pokemon book, but one of the books, probably from the Adventure series, sold 22k. And then Volume 4 of Dragon Ball Super sold just over 20k. So yeah, this is a really good long tail. They outperform the general manga long tail in terms of the percentage growth they have. They're up more than a third in pieces and dollars. They've had the single biggest year of dollar sales they ever had. Uh, they are just doing incredible business. Like they have street books over 50,000 copies, nine more over 30,000 copies, 14 over 20k copies, and 75 over 10,000. Like they are an incredible publisher. And so... Coming in in second place, we have Kadansha. They have 42 titles in the top 750. They have 300,000 in sales, 5.1 million in retail dollars. So this is actually their first up year in a while. And their bestseller is Sailor Moon Volume 1, not the Eternal Edition, like the older release from a few years back. That is their highest seller at 15,000 copies. That's their number one. The Eternal Editions, they do about half as well. Volume 1 of that sold about 7,000 copies. Um, Four of the smaller versions, the original edition, those sell in the top 750. Three of the other thicker ones, the Eternal Editions, they sell in the top 750. But even despite being Kadanja's highest selling title, Sailor Moon is only the 52nd spot in the overall manga bestsellers list. So that kind of shows the scale of Viz's domination yet again. But uh, Kadanja's second biggest seller is Fire Force, which uh, Volume 1 sold over 12,000 copies. And three volumes chart in the top 750. So number three is Fairy Tale. Volume 1 is just under 12,000 copies. This was 15,000 last year. Two other volumes appear in the top 750, along with one volume of the 100 Years Quest spinoff. And for number four, we have The Seven Deadly Sins, where Volume 1 racks about 11,000 copies sold, and three volumes of the series place in the top 750. And then Attack on Titan, surprisingly, comes in just at number five, but Volume 1 and 27 each sold about 11,000 copies. There are nine volumes of the series in the top 750. So this, according to Brian, is like an example of the hammock principle. Basically, books in the series sell generally well in a sales pattern that looks like a hammock if you chart it out. The first few ones, the last few ones sell the best. And 
the ends running down to the middle have the lowest sales, like the sagging part of a hammock. But the problem with this is the stores don't have an infinite rack space. So, of course, while we're sure it's a need a certain volume and velocity to keep things in print, that sagging middle becomes unsustainable for a lot of series over time, especially long-running ones. So the stores start to only carry the first and last few volumes. So that's kind of interesting trend in analysis. So I think we observe that in a lot of long-running Shonen series in particular. So it would be interesting to see like if that affects things going forward. But overall, Kadansha had an up gear of more listed items, like 11% growth, 13% growth of units sold, 25% growth of retail value they put out, which is much better than like last year where they had a you know, decrease of unit value. And then overall, their average sales are also up about 1.5 thousand. So yeah. I mean, Kadansha has just six titles that sell over 10k, but generally their long tail of sales seems, you know, pretty reasonably healthy. So then we're going to Dark Horse in number three. They have 15 titles that place in top 750, and those account for about 148,000 copies sold, 4.2 million in calculated retail value, which is up quite significantly from where they were at in 2018. Their best-selling title, of course, is Berserk, that scores just about 31,000 copies sold of the Deluxe Edition, and... The regular Volume 1 of Berserk sold about 11,000 copies. Volume 2 of the Deluxe Edition also had big sales for Volumes 2 and 3 with 18,000 and 11,000 copies respectively. Mob Psycho 100 is also doing very well for Dark Horse. Volume 1 sold about 11,000 copies. So, you know, Dark Horse's performance is up and most of their growth is really coming from Berserk, though. That's like their best title. Like, not just their best manga title, their best title... So, yeah, I mean, overall, they have less books out in terms of manga, uh, about 27% decrease. But in terms of total units sold, they have more books sold. They have a 46.88% increase, which is pretty big. But actually, their retail sales are huge. They doubled it from the previous year, from $3.5 million to $7.2 million. So that was 103% growth. And their average sales are also up by triple. The volume has gone from 422 to 857 and 6.7 thousand to 18.9 thousand. So that's pretty big growth. I think those Berserk Deluxe Editions are doing very well. No wonder they're trying the same thing with Helsing now too. But yeah, I mean, overall, Dark Horse has about 30k, one book that has over 30k and four books that have over 10k. Uh, then Yen Press is the fourth biggest publisher. They have 17 titles in the top 750. They sold about 11, 117,000 copies. Uh, they're down from about 159 copies sold last year. And they accumulated nearly 1.9 million retail gross, which is down from 2.4 million last year. So they're actually having a kind of a downward trend, it seems. I mean, their best seller is Black Butler, Volume 1. Brings just a bit under 13,000 copies, and that's actually up from 2018, where it was 11,000. And three other volumes of Black Butler also make the top 750, though none of them sold over 10k. And they also do very well with Fruits Basket, their release sells just a bit under 11k. And three volumes of that series are in the top 750. But yeah, Yen is down for their third year in a row, but at least the gap of how they are decreasing is slowing. So they only have two titles over 10k, but in terms of growth, they're slowing. They're 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 
not selling as much as the previous year, but at least the rate of that decline is slowing down. So maybe they'll be able to rebound. And then we've got ESMCs at number five. They have 18 titles on Top Century. They sold 110,000 copies combined. They grossed about 1.6 million in retail value. This is actually a huge drop for them because in 2018, they sold 199,000 copies and they had 3 million sales. And their biggest title was I Want to Eat Your Pancreas, but that just sold about a little over 9,000 copies. And they didn't have any books that sold over 10,000 copies last year. But yeah, their sales are down, which is a shame because they keep releasing so much great stuff. But yeah, it's a little sad to see with some of the publishers outside like the top four. But now we're getting to Vertical. Vertical is the final of the main manga publishers who appear in the top 750. They placed just four books in the top 750, just 28,000 copies for 546,000. And that's not too different from their previous year. It's just down a tiny bit. Their bestseller is She's Sweet Home Volume 1 that sells a bit over 10k. And their growth is essentially flat. There really isn't a significant change from the previous year for them in terms of sales and uh, the quantity that they're releasing. And beyond that, the only significant manga to kind of single out from this report would probably be 10 Speed Press's life-changing manga of tidying up from Marie Kondo. That sold about 26,000 copies last year. So, I mean, Brian Hips' analysis, which I pretty much agree with, is that manga is like overwhelmingly controlled by a single vendor. And based on these sales reports, based on like how these other publishers are doing, uh, based on Viz's dominance in the market, I would also agree that it's probably unlikely to change, especially considering what a monster hit My Hero Academia is, which cannot be understated, just how significant and how well that title is selling. So, yeah, uh, that was kind of an analysis of BookScan uh, from Comics Beat. Like overall, in terms of distributor share of the book scan, which is another interesting stat, uh, Viz had about 60 million uh, in terms of like quantity represented. So yeah, I mean, Viz is accounted among like the four biggest publishers and those four publishers combined are larger than the bottom <laughs> 1,536 publishers combined. So you know, like, Viz is among, like, top company. And if you look at, like, sales growth, again, like, they sold, like, double of what DC did at number three in terms of, like, top-selling publishers. So, uh, Viz dominating the market, once again, like, 15% of the overall comics market. Just behind Scholastic, who had 22% of the market. So, yeah, uh, I think we'll link, you know, uh, the comics beat analysis for, like, even more info, like, even more detailed breakdown on, like, how the comics industry did, you know, even beyond the manga publishers. But it's really fascinating to look at that stuff and look at these numbers. And obviously, these are not complete numbers. These are only based on the top 750 books sold. These are only from the bookstore market. And these are not factoring the digital sales. So these are not the complete, like, revenue grosses, quantity sold and stuff. But it is a good gauge. It is a good way to kind of look at like how publishers are faring compared to one another, who is doing really well, what the trends are. And I think that overall, manga is in a healthy place. But the main driver of that health 
seems to come from Viz and Viz dominatingly. And while some of the other publishers are also doing well for themselves, they aren't really like competing with Viz in that scale. And some of the publishers are actually not quite growing. They're kind of middling. They might be seeing a short decline. So it's it's kind of interesting to see like how that might change or affect things going forward. I mean, it feels like so long as Viz has their big hits, like you could say manga as an industry is doing well. But what does that mean when other publishers who are publishing like the smaller, more niche titles are not doing as well? So that's something I'd be curious to see and look into for sure. So now that we're done doing this analysis of the comic speed, looking at the industry, I thought that was really, really cool. I always find it interesting to see like where the comics industry is, where the market is. But now we're going to have to end the show with a very necessary conversation, an overview of recent outings of sexual predators in the comics industry. I'm going to condense the timeline and focus it a little bit more on the key players and specifically players relevant to the manga industry or at least the fandom more well known in our circles. But we're going to start off with where this started off. In June, Cameron Stewart, who is known as a writer on series like Batgirl and Motor Crush, he was accused by several women of grooming them, multiple women alleging that Stewart harassed them for romantic and sexual relationships when they were teenage fans or young women working in the comics industry, while he was already an established creator in his 20s. Stewart's reputation was well known for years, yet he had never been reprimanded or fired before this. And similarly, and we're getting to the big guy here, Warren Ellis. You know him from Transmetropolitan, the Atari Castlevania TV series. He was publicly exposed by writer-editor Katie West and many other women about his similar predatory behaviors. His perversions go back decades, and he apparently was grooming and gaslighting 19 different women at the same time circa 2009. Artist and photographer Jane Holmes who had an eight-year relationship with Ellis, set up a server for women to safely share their stories, and a hundred women came forward. And later, in early July, 62 of them united to create So Many of Us, a website featuring 34 testimonials of their individual experiences of Ellis's abuse and harassment, including screenshots documenting Ellis's harassment, and calling for Ellis to make amends and change the culture of complicity. We will link the So Many of Us page in the show notes so you can read their stories and find resources to help with your own mental health and recovery if you're a survivor, or learn more about the culture of complicity and further reading resources and a glossary of terms and recognize it when you see it and speak out against it. There are a ton of links and resources on that site for survivors and allies to read up on and gain the knowledge to call out and combat other predators like Warren and hold them accountable. But yeah, Warren responded to this by, on June 18th, issuing a apology on Twitter, claiming that he never considered himself famous or powerful. It had never really occurred to him that other people didn't see it in the same way. I mean, I'm kind of paraphrasing his own exact words there. And thus, he never thought he had any institutional privilege, even though his comics have been adapted into movies that have grossed millions of dollars, and his old Warren Ellis web forum launched into careers of tons of comics. I mean, 
you go on Morales's Twitter now, he still has four hundred thousand eighty nine thousand followers, like nearly five hundred thousand followers, and that, how do you think you don't have an influence there? But suffice to say, the day after Ellis's statement. DC Comics announced they would be removing a short story written by Ellis from the anthology issue Dark Knight, Dead Metal Legends of Dark Knights number one, and other predators exposed included, you know, Jason Latour, co-creator of Spider-Gwen and writer on Wolverine and X-Men, and here's someone very relevant to manga, Dark Horse Comics editor Brendan Wright, who edits the Planets manga, among other comics, and he was accused by editor Becca Caden of harassing her for over a year, and Former editor-in-chief and freelance editor Scott Alley is another person accused. They were frequent editor and collaborator with Hellboy creator Mike Mignola. And he was accused by former Dark Horse editor Shauna Gore. And so now he's been discommunicated from Dark Horse only editor too. And this came in the midst of the Comics Book Legal Defense Fund. You know, a non-profit institution that offers legal funds and services to comics creators. First Amendment rights, well, their director... Charles Brownstein was also rallied against for his well-reported groping of artist Taki Soma back in 2006, and that gained traction and support from creators like Brian Michael Bendis and James Tinian the Fort, who all proclaimed they will not support the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund so long as Brownstein's in charge, and so Brownstein resigned and the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund issued a statement recognizing supporting its victims and releasing a former employee from a non-disclosure agreement. And the top all of this out, Chris Butcher, founder of TCAF and the former artistic director of the con, resigned in June, you know, claiming mental health issues and wanting other staff to move up in other positions. However, his resignation came amidst criticisms of him and TCAF regarding the inclusion and treatment of Black Indigenous people of color and LGBTQ peoples and staff, and Butcher apologized for his role in evaluating and diminishing the contribution of staff and volunteers, and stated he is taking a step back to take the time to be better. And you know, there's a tread about this from Brazilian cartoonist Victor Martins at Cosmonaut Vico on Twitter that details their experiences being dismissed and devalued by Butcher and TCAF, claiming TCAF burns true marginalized people looking to contribute to the festival like they're nothing. Excellent, capable people are passed over again and again for opportunities they mentioned explicit interest in. So many people come in loving the festival and excited to help and then leave because there is no room for them. Well, magically, there always seems to be a way for to make way for another cis-abled white person. There are people of color who have been sticking out here for 11 years and are still at the bottom of the hierarchical ladder, and he has a hard time believing that it's not because they're purposely being kept there. So, yeah, and saying that basically TCAF is terrible at crediting people of color for their contributions at all. So in response to these criticisms, TCAF set up a Google Form survey for people to take and share their input to build a better TCAF. The survey asked questions about how TCAF has failed or fallen short in its anti-racism, equity, diversity, and inclusion initiatives, and how it can better support people and protect them from harassment, creating a more inclusive and equitable ecosystem. So if you've previously been involved at TCAF as staff, volunteer, guest, or fan, and have experiences to share, definitely take that survey and let your voice be heard. Encourage TCAF to change for the better. But yeah, I mean, this is always very aggravating, infuriating to hear that there are predators who have gone unpunished in this industry for decades and 
the women coming forward are just so incredibly brave. I have so much respect for them and so much sympathy and support I want to extend to them. And I am also, you know, angry. And I think that, you know, this conversation keeps happening because it's, these revelations keep happening. I mean, we're how many years removed from Me Too and we're still getting like these huge revelations of big name creators being exposed for creeps. So there's so much work left to be done, clearly. I think that I don't know where to start, but, you know, hopefully with a big guy like Warren Ellis outed as a creepo, I think that hopefully maybe we can start to change the culture. Like if we can, you know, have like serious consequences for these people. And I think that is why so many of us is a really good site that's opened up because that's like what they are kind of organized to do and promote. So, I mean, I definitely hope people check that out, read the resources on there and support that. And, you know, we're going to keep doing our part to report these stories as they come up. I think in the future, we're definitely going to need to dedicate a proper conversation episode on this topic to discuss, you know, the problematic roots of sexism and sexual predators in the industry. Because, I mean, this is certainly not the first time we've talked about someone in the manga industry being revealed to be a serious monster, basically. So, yeah, there's a lot to talk about. I don't think we are equipped to really dig into that at this time, but we definitely need to share the story so people know about it if they have not yet, and leave links to places where you can learn more. And yes, this is probably something we're going to return to. But yeah, I mean, we're going to also probably talk about a lot of more lighthearted stuff like we usually do, but this episode ran very long. I mean, again, we talked about so many licenses news. We talked about that comic speed industry report. We talked about some very important stories here. So I think that's a fair place to end things off and close out the show. But definitely look forward to more news coverage next time, more talk about series, stuff that's happening on in the comics world in this community. So yeah. I think we'll just uh, head into the wrap-up until the next time. Yeah, um, I just want to say real quick, um, we kind of mentioned it throughout the episode, but uh, definitely look forward to an episode of the podcast covering uh, some of these simulpubs along with some other stuff that uh, uh, we've been asked to talk about. Uh, we'll we'll kind of get to that in the coming weeks here. And so, yeah, that's something you could look forward to. Uh, Lum and I have just been recording a bunch of really cool things that uh, we'll hopefully kind of release here uh, kind of soonish within the next few weeks that, like, we're really hoping you guys will look forward to and we're really hoping you guys enjoy. Uh, and so, yeah, um, admittedly, we did have a few smaller pieces of news we wanted to mention, but we'll we'll save those for another time. Again, I think I agree with Lum where, you know, we, we covered a lot of good ground and I think we covered a lot of the, like the most important stuff. So, uh, so, you know, no, no, no big loss there. We'll just get to him on another episode, but for now, this episode is long enough as it is. And, uh, I think we'll just go ahead and let you guys go, uh, by plugging all of our stuff here. So Lum, where can the people find you? 
You can find me at LumRamiyasha on Twitter. And it's LumRamiyasha to write places like Animation for Revelation and Let's Rare It's a LumRamiyasha. That's where you can find me. You can read my reviews on all that's coming out.com. We've got a lot of books coming out, a lot of reviews going out. So look forward to more of those on there. And that's where you can also find these spinoffs and other related projects and podcasts that I do, including Lum Squad, a monthly podcast about Yurisi Yatsura that I do with my good friend AC, and Mogabarasad Movies and Manga Vites and all that other good stuff that you can find on AuditionComic.com and, of course, on this very own podcast feed. And if you enjoy the art I do for the show, you can check out more of my art on my Instagram at SidArtWorks. All right, definitely go follow all alum stuff. As for me, I'm Colta. You could find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host a few other podcasts on my own, which you can find links to at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Uh, you can find links to shows such as uh, One Podcast Prevails. It's a Detective Conan slash Case Close podcast that I record with my friend uh, Doctor from the Ask Backwards Enemy podcast. Uh, I should say the Ask Backwards Enemy podcasting network. Uh, where I also do a lot of other shows. Again, you can find links to basically whatever podcast I'm doing at the moment, again, at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. As for uh, Manga Mavericks and the podcast, uh, you can find every episode of the Manga Mavericks podcast uh, at allcomic.com. That's where we post every episode first. Unless you are a subscriber to our Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, uh, where if you sign up for our $2 tier, you will have possible access to early editions of our podcast. Uh, that is depending on when we have them edited. Say we have a podcast episode that we have edited before it's supposed to come out on the main feed or on allcomic.com. Uh, we'll just be sure to post that on the Patreon for our patrons to listen to first before anyone else. Again, that that is dependent on when we have them edited. So if you want a chance to listen to some early editions of the podcast, that's at our $2 tier. Or you can subscribe to our $5 tier if you want some brand new bonus, never before heard content uh, exclusively available on our Patreon. Our $5 tier basically guarantees that you will... Uh, that you will be treated to a bonus podcast at the end of every month. Uh, we have a whole slew of bonus content, including uh, some one-off reviews and whatnot. That includes some episodes of uh, our side podcast, the Manga Mavericks Book Club, uh, where we talk about uh, different manga that we may have covered on the show before, but we cover more in depth, volume by volume. Uh, right now, we are covering uh, Masami Kurumada's Saint Seiya, uh, I am reading through that for the first time, along with, my, again, my good friend, Doctor. Um, so if you want a 100% blind read-through on Saint Seiya, we are uploading episodes of that read-through every month. Uh, the next episode should be coming out at the end of this month into the beginning of next month. Uh, and so, yeah, if you're interested in that, and again, a whole slew of bonus content, that's at our $5 tier at patreon.com slash manga mavericks it's the best way to support our show and everything we do here uh as for all comic and everything else uh you could follow us on facebook.com slash all dot comic or on twitter.com slash all comic underscore but if you want to follow manga mavericks specifically you want to follow us on uh, manga underscore mavericks or on tumblr at manga mavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks, uh, where we upload excerpts of the podcast, even some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Subscribe. Uh, email us anything at manga mavericks at gmail.com. Uh, do you have any thoughts on all the news we covered on this episode? Uh, what do you think 
were some of the best licenses to come out of the past month? And why is the answer Shaman King? Um, you know, d- email us anything about anything we talked about on the show, uh, whatever manga you're reading, you know, just anything about manga or the podcast, and we will read it on the show. You could send those again at mangamavericks at gmail.com. We love getting emails and we love reading them on the show. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcast or basically wherever podcasts are sold. We're on a bunch of different platforms, uh, including that and Spotify and whatnot. Um, but yeah, basically when you leave us a review or rate us, you know, that, that really helps the visibility of our show and helps us get out there to more listeners and you know we just appreciate the feedback in general um so definitely go ahead and do that if you have the time and uh yeah that's really gonna be about it for this very long news episode uh this has been episode 129 of the manga mavericks podcast at allcomic.com we will see you guys next time for episode 130 bye guys sayonara sayonara